accusés d'un vol qu'ils n'ont pas commis, n'ayant aucun moyen d'en faire la preuve, ils fuient sans cesse devant leurs poursuivants. Pour subsister, ils emploient leurs compétences. Quand la loi ne peut plus rien pour vous, il vous reste un recours, un seul, l'agence Tourisque. Well, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, once again to the Rogue Opinions Podcast. And we have yet another spectacular grapple update. And you know what that means. It's the A-Team. We're all back together. Me, Jimmy Baxter, and Nathan Greenaway, and Scott McLeod. Nathan, Scott, what is going on? How are you? Pretty good, man. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Busy, you know, doing a lot of different things here and there, trying to keep myself from going absolutely fucking insane. Scott, how's that working for you? Doing very well, man. Uh, like I said, I've not had a quiz to do recently, so I'm having to find new ways of, of occupying my time. May I suggest a chill point? You could. I'm not a hundred percent guarantee I'll take that suggestion on board. Well, I mean, wouldn't it be nice to just have like a sort of set of linens with like a stitched Fraser on the front or something like that, or like the skyline? And it just says fuck salad and scrambled eggs. What you should do is you just have like, you know how people who are obsessed with anime girls get like a pillow made up of them? <laughs> you should do that, but just of Kelsey Grammer. And then you should sure. do like the Yoko Ono and uh, what's his face picture, the black and white one where they're like hugging. <laughs> I don't know if there's a pillow, how big the pillow would have to be to truly capture the sheer size of Kelsey's forehead. <laughs> you can make them like a snowman where you just sort of build pillows and you can have one whole pillow just for the forehead <laughs> so anyway ladies and gentlemen welcome to the grapple update uh we're gonna be covering night two of uh you know counter programming central as we were calling it uh last time around uh this one's a little more timely of course because you know uh the uh night two of everything just sort of happened a couple days ago so with our fresher reactions to things we don't necessarily remember um we're gonna go into night two of great american bash night two of fighter fest with a slight look forward to uh fight for the fallen and next week's nxt yada 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 so to begin things off though uh in the world of professional wrestling um mr uh tomaso champa had uh, quite an interesting uh image come out uh via his uh, i think it was his instagram and his twitter um, and the photo was shared by uh, Insta Wrestling Fans underscore underscore on Instagram, uh, and this was uh, written by Tomas Champ. And I figured we could go through this a little bit and see what everybody thinks. We're gonna go uh, bullet point by bullet point. First bullet point is I miss 2018 Champ. Uh, really simple, direct through the, uh, to the point, and I think Tommaso has a point. Uh, he goes on later to describe uh, the ebbs and flows of the the professional wrestling business as there is in everything else. Um, but 2018 Champa as compared to 2020 Champa, uh, definitely is a distinction that, uh, should be made. So, uh, Scott, I'm going to start with you just this first point. I missed 2018 Champa. What do you, what do you think of those words just in and of themselves? I think you, you got a fair point there. Cause like Champa was probably one of my favorite people in the whole company, but then he was like the hottest heel. And I think like you just, was showed just how poor timed that uh, like next surgery had to go for was because he's basically on top of NXT. He was the guy, and NXT were ready to go away, 
I think the, the thing about him having to go away is that when he came back, he got the like baby face reaction. So he just went with him as a face. And basically, we suddenly realised just how limited face Champa is compared to heel Champa. And I mean, they could have just had him do the become heel when they decided to do the one last match we got with Johnny. But for some reason, they decided to have Johnny as the heel. And I'm not saying that's not like good because I like, I like heel Johnny Gargan at the moment, but I think of the two, uh, Champa does his best work as a heel. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, Nathan, uh, your your just summary ideas on just the first point, I miss 2018 Champa. I think, yeah, it's, it's really I'm about to reiterate what Scott said. He was one of the hottest things going in all of wrestling outside of WWE. Uh, and he was a complete badass, but the injury was at such a poor time. And... I, I, I do miss him. I think he still has a place and there's easily a story that can be told to recover him to that 2018 uh, kind of rise that he had when he was sitting on top of the world. And they could do it. He's just got to stay injury-free, really. That's that's the only counterpoint I would make to that is that the injury record isn't great. Uh, but he can easily get back there. And, yeah, I, do, I, I would love to see 2018 Champa if Time Machines existed come out and compete in NXT. I mean, I'm for me personally, I'm not exactly sure that 2018 Champa even still exists as he was in 2018, uh you know, with the I think it's his second neck neck surgery and um uh, ever since he dropped the title, I knew that the the road was maybe not going to be as smooth as it was in the beginning. But let's move on to uh, point number two. This one's a little bit longer, um, so I'm going to take it in two parts. Uh, the first part is uh, the wrestling business, like life, is full of waves, highs and lows. One moment you feel untouchable, the next you come crashing down. Giving up the title is definitely one of my career lows, and to be honest, damn near everything that's happened in my career since has been a disappointment. Um, I, don't know if, I don't know if I particularly totally agree uh with that sentiment but um i don't know what do you guys think nathan i'm gonna go to you first uh about just the beginning point of part two there um about everything in his career since dropping the title has been a disappointment i wouldn't say it's been a disappointment like this storyline with johnny gargano although very natural and seemed like it needed to be told perhaps didn't have the hottest end to it that we perhaps wanted it to drop in the title because of an injury i i can't even pretend to know what that feels like to have to give up something you love and have fought for because of uh, such a severe in- injury and then having to go for the surgeries and the rehabs and everything like that like really champer and edge have a very similar kind of career in a sort of way uh i'd i i it sucks if he genuinely feels like everything since then has been a disappointment. Yeah. Or maybe he's doing this because he's looking to start a new character and this is a way to do it. That's what I hope because I would hate to think that the guy is actually sat there finding everything he's done since a disappointment because he's done some great work and he's put on some great matches. And so it would suck if it's genuine. Hopefully this is all just a storyline thing and he's and he's cleared it with... Triple H or whoever he needs to, hey, I'm going to put this up. It's for the start of a new story. Uh, because I've enjoyed what he's done since. That's really all I have to say. 
so Scott, yeah, uh, what like what is your uh, opinion on that? And I mean, go into what maybe you think sort of the, uh, the the highs and lows were for him from a fan's perspective. I think coming back, there were quite a few highs coming back because he had the big return at the end of the USA kind of debut of NXT, and he had uh, like the story was undisputed era. And I think because it was a natural story, I would go back to the title. I think the issue was uh, that they'd already built people, like new people while he'd been away, like Keith Lee, who we'll talk about later, and Velveteen Dream. So basically, he's kind of going to go for the title, but it, just, it wasn't in the cards for him to get the belt back, which I'm sure he would have wanted. And I'm wondering if maybe the reason he hasn't really got back in the title scene that much like since the loss to Cole was maybe because of the injuries, because before the next surgery, he had to go away right at the start of the Gargano feud because of an ACL injury. So maybe it's a case of he's getting to the stage where he's a bit more injury prone. So when they are basically being more wary about how they're, they're handling them. And I don't know. I, I've, I've enjoyed some of the stuff he's, he's done. Season, but there's one highlight he's going to probably mention in the second part you're going to read that I actually thought was pretty good and could lead to the start of a new story for him. Yeah, so the, uh, the second part of that is um, a few glimpses of highs here and there. My face-off with Adam when I returned, which was fantastic. I believe that Adam Cole storyline was fantastic. Even the contract signing, which I hate contract signings personally. Uh, I think most of them are just predictable and sort of like lazy. Um, but when he got his head busted open, he signed the contract in his blood. Uh, the, the whole deal, uh, the whole thing with Adam uh, Cole was fantastic. Uh, when I return, uh, he goes on to say, when I returned and war games come to mind, but the lo- uh, but lots of lows. The chase to reclaim Goldie, the final chapter with Johnny, and recently my encounter with Cross. Uh, obviously, his uh, match with uh, carrying Cross was a surprise to a lot of people uh, when it only went about seven minutes at TakeOver in your house. And um, a lot of people sort of uh, guessed at the time that maybe, oh, this is just going to be the beginning of the next chapter of Tommaso Ciampa. Instead, he hasn't really been seen on television since, um, except for the network uh, or the WWE.com exclusive clip uh, where he's just angry and he gets into his truck and drives away. Uh, He has not been seen on TV for quite a while. So, Scott, um, going into that second part now... um, do you totally agree with uh, some of the lows there and the highs, or do you maybe think that it maybe he's a little too close to it? Maybe this is just a storyline. I, I kind of hope so. Kind of like what Nathan said, I really hope this isn't really just how he truly feels. Maybe there's some a mixable storyline, and he's using reality to help further. Like I said, with the the world title thing, that maybe they built so many new stars while he'd been away that they didn't feel it was the time to put the belt back on him. Yeah, the thing with Johnny, I think it was a case of they wanted to get that out of the way because they were going to do it at TakeOver uh, in 2019. Trevor got injured, came back, then the world went to shit, and then they just did this pre-taped thing. So basically, I think it was just a case of, like, let's just get this done. So maybe it wasn't entirely what they wanted. And then the thing with Cross, yeah, while it did Cross like a huge like service, like making him again look like this monster, uh, you can see why it wouldn't have benefited Champa, but I think this is how they could start this nice way, like the frustration of losing a cross so quickly, thinking, well, 2018 Champa wouldn't have lost this quickly, and that starts his resurgence. But then again, like the fact that he 
hasn't been on NXT for the last few weeks is concerning. It does seem like, like I don't like to say it, but it does look like they've got nothing for him. Yeah, and um, I, I mean, I agree because uh, I remember a lot of people on other podcasts and stuff were talking about how after that match with Cross, the first question that came to a lot of people's mind was, well, what's next for Champa after this? And as we've seen over the last about a month, nothing is next for Champa because um, uh, Nathan, if you don't mind, I'm just going to start the next the next part here, unless you had something to fill in from that second part. No, I just say. Just to reiterate why I said it, my gut instinct is that this is a storyline thing because he's only really talking about when he talks about his lows. He's talk, just talking about matches he lost, and uh, so and the cross match, him getting angry and disappearing in his truck, as well. It tells me he's going away for a bit and he's going to come back probably just as a heel and something new and use this to feel something new. That's just my gut instinct of it, but. No, I look forward to whatever the next point is. I don't remember it off the top of my head. It, uh, for some reason, like, I don't know. To me, it just, part of me is starting to think that, because he mentioned a while back, maybe I'm getting this confused, but he mentioned that, uh, you know, he maybe has like four or five years left uh, and he wants to stay in NXT. Yeah, um, he did. He, he um, sorry to cut you off, but I remember no, no, no. what was said was that he probably only has that time left one of the reasons he made that comment that if he w- was told he had to go up to the main roster, he'd retired is because he, his body wouldn't be able to handle the full time schedule, which is something that triple H uh, then reiterated when he was on Corey Graves podcast one time that Tommaso Ciampa wouldn't be able to handle the travel and the schedule that's required to be full time on the main, on the main roster. And also, he's training to be a producer at Evolve, I think. Evolve or Progress. One of them. Oh, okay. I can't remember which one, but he's backstage doing a lot of their, doing some of their work um, as well. So, yeah, there is some truth to, to the fact that he just can't handle a full-time schedule. At, at the, as far as the information I know, I don't know if that's changed. And, and Tommaso Ciampa never came across to me as somebody who would sort of go into business for themselves and sort of put this out without clearing any of this before it came out. Because, if, you know, if he's going to be backstage and everything, you're going to need to, like, expound upon that sort of level of trust and whatnot. Um, so putting this out without clearing it, I think, for a story or for whatever, uh, is probably not something he, that would be advantageous for him to do. Uh, especially because he's going to be on the other side of it. Well, let's get into part number three. Uh, again, a bit longer on this point, so I'm just going to try and read it out. If, you, if anything comes across to you guys before I ask you, just jump on in and I'll stop where I am. <clears throat> number three, motivation is a fascinating trait. Throughout my career, I have often found that creating false dialogue has led to some uh, has led to my greatest internal motivation. In 2018, I created a scenario in my head which nobody believed in me, and it drove me. In 2020, after weeks of being left off television, yes, I'm healthy, I find myself with a new false dialogue. Creative has nothing for you. Whether or not this is true, it really doesn't matter. Because in my head, it is true. In, tw- in 2018, I willed my vision into existence. Well, today, I have a new vision. And surprisingly enough, I'm hungrier than ever. It is time to evolve. It's time to catch that next wave and reach that next high. That uh, is the end of his statement there. Um, so 
uh, I guess at this point it's a lot of echoed points, but Nathan, uh, on that little wrap up there, um, what do you get out of what he's saying here? I think for pretty much what he's saying is that he, um, although he believes his motivation, he says creative has nothing for him, so they're not putting him on TV. And he basically sounds like a guy who is looking for motivation to create what he described as a false dialogue. So if he's looking at that from a character standpoint, he's looking for that reason to be all of Tommaso Ciampa. So I'm going to guess that they've got a story lined up for him. This is just purely based on guy instinct, that they've got something lined up for him. They're going to use him at the SummerSlam takeover. Like if, if Tommaso Ciampa is healthy, like he's just said, he is in there and I hope he's healthy. I'm not saying that I don't. Um, they're they're going to use him and this is going to be part of the setup for it and i i reckon they're gonna mention it on the on nxt tv at some point in the next couple of weeks they're going to mention him tweeting this out or instagramming it whichever it is and if they do you know it's a storyline and you know that something big's about to happen with tomasa champa but other than that he just sounds like he's either a character or a guy who's just looking for motivation yeah, um, Scott. Uh, after you know, give me your summary thoughts on the uh, the last little part there in his statement, and then um, for a question for both of you after that is, uh, what could the next story be for Tommaso Ciampa? What is the next thing for him? Uh, I'm kind of just going to echo some of the points like that Roger made. Like he said, I, I definitely think this is partly a storyline because guys like Ciampa, some of the talker guys from. NXT seem like very close to people like Triple H and that that they basically wouldn't do this go into business with themselves and just like do this without permission. And the reason I said it was probably partly true part like storylines are using reality to further a story is I remember listening to I believe it was Lauren Garcia's podcast where he made that statement about retiring if he got called up and he talked a lot in that thing about mental health and some struggles he went through in his early life and I can you can see some of these like way he goes through way his mind works uh, and that's the way he's all about creating these false narratives in order to motivate himself. So I think he is just looking for a way to motivate himself and to rather than just being stuck in just limbo and just not doing anything, he wants to be on top and doing something. And he feels like the only way he can do it at the moment when no one else has got something for him is to create his own motivation. And I'm hopeful that it's something for him. I think we've got a lot of new guys in NXT at the moment, and I think that maybe a slow transition back to heel champa is needed. Maybe turning on somebody in kind of the mid-guard, one of the newer guys, and just starting that heel trajectory. Maybe if you don't put them back in the main event scene, maybe when you've got the double champion, if they want to like, take the North American belt off them and keep them with the main belt, give Champa the North American belt, and help him elevate that like he elevated the NXT title when he had it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I could see that 110%. I'm actually very interested to see what they're going to do uh, dealing with the whole double champion situation and whether or not both titles will be on the line each time. But we are going to get into that a little later on. Um, but as I said, where do you guys see the next thing for Tommaso Ciampa? Personally, um, I would... I would really dig maybe uh, like just like a couple match series between Finn Balor and Tommaso Ciampa because for a while it seemed like 
Balor was going to be the guy to de- to dethrone Adam Cole. Then he was supposed to have that match with Walter. Then the world set itself on fire. And then that wasn't going to happen. And then he threatened to come after the North American title. But then now Keith Lee has uh, both of those, uh, both titles. So uh, what is possibly the next step for Tommaso Ciampa? What's the next feud, at least in your mind? Nathan Greenaway, take it away. Uh, just off the top of my head, I've just if if you want to send Champa back to being heel Champa, because everyone likes Champa as a person because they know what he's been through. Which obviously, if you know what someone's been through, it's going to affect their character. So if you want to be able to separate that, in my mind, you've got to make him do something horrible to somebody that everyone loves unconditionally, and that person is Drake Maverick. So I think with this story that they've got going on between Jake Maverick and Escobar, you just have Champa beat the shit out of Drake Maverick. For a bit, you have Drake Maverick use all of his fighting spirit, which is his characteristic of his character, to then get a match together, and you just have Champa. You don't have to have him completely destroy the guy in a one-on-one match, but really do something horrible. And that could then set Champa back on the path to that horrible heel Champa that everyone really loved, but they loved to boo the guy. So that would be my mind to just get in a storyline with someone that people absolutely love. Because that's the only way you're going to be able to boo the guy. The fact that like his entrance music for like three solid months was just chance of fuck you Champa in, uh, in full sale when he would walk out because he had no music was possibly the coolest thing a heel's done in the last few years is that he didn't have entrance music. He was just a piece of garbage and you fucking really, even though he was coming back from an injury and he was using the crutch and he had the very noticeable leg brace and he had gotten himself into like, like uh, just disgusting shape. Like it's just insane how great a shape he was in when he came back. Um, But then his, his entrance music was just the booze and the the hatred from the crowd was one of the coolest things I've seen in a really long time. But Scott, what do you think is possibly the next step for Tommaso Ciampa from here? Well, like I said, I think I'd definitely like to see him go after the North American title. Uh, I think, yeah, you need him against somebody popular. For whatever reason, somebody who's stuck in my head, for someone I'd like to actually see him in a feud with, is uh, Swerve. Because I, I, like, I really like him and I think, as we've seen on Great American Bash, you don't have to keep him in the cruiserweight division. You can have him occasionally pop out of his division and fight with like other people and then float him back into the cruiserweight division quite easily because I think eventually we're probably going to have where unseat Escobar for the title. But you can have him in a feud with Champa to help elevate him as a like someone you should care about and then float him back in. I think people would then be more invested when Escobar eventually wins a title. Yeah, just to quickly jump in and reiterate Scott's point there, I really, really like Swerve as well. And that was actually uh, something I didn't con- consider when I was just thinking up the Drake Maverick thing. But yeah, also, I really, really enjoy Swerve, and we're going to talk about him later, but I think he's someone who's consistently been one of the highlights of NXT as well. Yeah, absolutely. And he's been kind of crushing it, uh, from what I understand, because I don't watch 205 Live. Uh, he apparently uh, has been crushing it uh, on that show as well. And I mean, he's a fantastic act. He's a guy who didn't have to participate 
in uh, CZW at a point uh, in like the deathmatch aspect of that, but he decided to do it um, just to get that experience. And you can see the marks on his body when he wrestles um, that show that he's more than just um, your average run of the mill uh, athletic uh, charismatic performer. He's willing to go out and try new things to see what he may or may not like. And I mean, I think that there's still a huge, huge ceiling on what Tommaso Ciampa could do. I would, I mean, shit, put him in there against Cameron Grimes or something who's been really fantastic and the faster that you can get him away from um, the Archer of Infamy and whatever and get that guy back relegated to uh, just doing weird promos and stuff, the better. Um, oh, you, don't all, like, you don't like Damien Priest? No, I'm not a big Damien. I don't get it. I don't oh, fucking I like get it. I like Damien Priest. I really He's, like him. He, he reminds me of that fucking guy, Chris Angel. And like, honestly, like your, your, your big, like booming sort of like deep voice and whatever. And the fact that you like ladies and that you have like a dumb, I don't know. I just, I'm not a fan of them. And I just, I just need as many people away from Damian Priest as humanly possible. I get that the guy's a good wrestler, but as we've seen, especially in these quarantine times and this COVID era of, um, small like attendance wrestling, you need more than just being a good wrestler to get yourself in a position where you're going to be interesting week to week, especially on Wednesdays where the numbers are already so tight. Um, and uh, again, the numbers this week were extremely tight for both shows. Um, let's see what card I have up first. All right. So Fighter Fest night two. That's what we're going to start with, ladies and gentlemen. AEW Fighter Fest night two. First time ever uh AEW is doing fighter fest for free over two weeks on tnt and uh they had a pretty stacked card throughout um i believe uh, i do believe this week was a little bit more memorable than last week but a lot of it suffered from the same little uh problems that we had last week that we spoke about just the other day on uh, grapple update part one night one uh that you can go back into the archives and check out um and the first match on um, Fighter Fest Night 2 was Kenny Omega and Adam Page taking on Private Party, Isaiah Cassidy, and Mark Quinn with, Matt, with Uncle Matt Hardy on the outside. Tag team match for the AEW World Tag Team Championships. This match goes about 11 and a half minutes. And of course, Kenny Omega and Adam Page come away with the victory. Um, I would like to sit here and just bring up my plate of crow. Although it's a small plate, small <laughs> appetizer plate here because uh, last week I gave Private Party a little bit of shit for being uh, a little a little sloppy, a little slow to react. And I think this week, they really, really, really stepped up their game. And um, whether or not that has to do with uh, Omega and Paige just being as good as they are, I think uh, Cassidy and Quinn really, really stepped it up this week. And they had a really, really enjoyable match with Omega and Paige. That all aside, I never once for a second thought that my boys in private party would walk away with the AEW Tag Championships. I think that maybe at this point, we may be looking at they're going to be facing so many of these teams that you don't think that they're going to beat them, uh, that one of these teams is going to beat them eventually. Um, I don't know. I think that this match was a little bit more successful than the match last week with Best Friends. Although Private Party wasn't driven to the by their mother, uh, this match, I think, was a little bit better off, and I rated a little bit higher than last week. Scott, I'm going to start with you. What did you think of the opening contest tonight, too? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, I was, I'll agree with you. Like, I, I wasn't that as harsh as you on 
Sarah Bybar was pleasantly surprised that it didn't seem like uh, some of their moves didn't look as messy as they had been in previous weeks. As I said before, they were great. And then suddenly you start noticing more mistakes. And then I don't know what happened. Uh, I like to think, yeah, maybe because they were in there with Hangman and Kenny, their work looked a bit smoother. I, I agree, although I had no point that I think they were going to win because like, as good as they looked in the ring, they weren't ready yet to win the tie titles. And I think it's going to be a while, especially now that like, so the Lucha Brothers are back and you've got FTR there. It's still going to be a while before Omega and Hangman lose the titles. And I think it's going to be even longer before Private Party even think about putting the belts on them. Right, right. Um, so, um, I also, like, I mean, what do you think to the idea, uh, Scott, what do you think to the idea that that they're facing a lot of these teams where it doesn't feel like there's a chance for them to lose, but then a flash pin or a knockout or something like that happens and boom, there's new AEW tag team champions. What Do you think that's maybe where they're going? Could be because I think a lot of people counted out by a part, like they purposely put a vision where they're good and then they put them in against the Young Bucks in the first round of like, the tag team tournament purposely to make their win look more like an upset. So if the private party got the upset win here, they could have built a thing about that, about how they're always underestimated, but they always seem to get a win, and that could kind of be their thing going forward. I definitely think Best Friends, with the story they tell and how long they've been around, had more of a chance. But I do like the idea, because like, they have been fighting teams a lot more regularly. They had natural nightmares and people like that. So yeah, they, like, the more they like, challenge these teams, the more you start to run to like, I think the more it can make you think, like, maybe tonight could be that night. Right, exactly. Um, so Nathan, um, same question to you as well. Uh, what did you think of the match? And do you think that maybe there's sort of a bit of a like a like a canyon forming in between the upper card and the lower card of the tag team division in AEW? First off, for the match, well, it was great. It was a fantastic tag opener. Uh, I it struggled with the same thing that both of you guys have said at no point did I think Piper Party was going to win, but that didn't stop me from enjoying the match. Uh, when you get four guys that talented in the ring together, good things going to happen. And it was great, it was fast-paced, it didn't outstay its welcome. I think it was only like 11 minutes or 10 minutes or something like that, uh, which was the right sort of length for these guys to go out there and showcase everything at great pace. Uh, in, in regards to the canyon growing i think as long as someone from un from quote unquote underneath uh omega and page wins then it's not really too much of a problem at the moment because kenny omega especially has that aura about him um that no one really should be beating kenny omega even though we've seen kenny omega lose a lot he still is one of the world's best wrestlers uh like I'm sure people probably just screamed because they don't get it or they they don't believe that or whatever but he is and um, he's tagged with Adam Page who's over as well doing his gimmick of being an alcoholic <laughs> but he sometimes rides horses and that's cool so uh so I don't think it's a problem as long as someone underneath beats them like if Jericho and Sammy Guevara when he's back end up beating him then I think, yes, there will be a canyon forming because it took a Chris Jericho to, um, to take the titles off them. But as long as someone from underneath grabs them, I think it will probably end up being FTR. 
Like mm. that's, that's the logical thing to me. Uh, then it shouldn't be a problem. Uh, but one thing I actually brought to the table, I'm not just the loud one. Sometimes I bring sni- bring sort of little tidbits, is a tweet from Dave Meltzer. Oh, Big Dave. Yeah, yeah, Big big Dave flopping his big important schlong around. <laughs> there's this, uh, you guys have probably seen it because it was sent to our little podcast uh, group, messenger group. And it starts with a tweet from PWI who uh, say as follows at AE wrestling uh, may have the deepest, strongest tag team division we've seen in quite a while approaching eighties tag team golden age levels. Dave Meltzer then retweets, but he doesn't just retweet it. He quotes it and then types something else except for all Japan comma. No company at one time in 80s had anything close to Young Bucks, FTR, Omega and Page, Lucha Bros, SCU, Santana and Ortiz, Best Friends, Jericho and Sammy, even Private Party all at the same time. So Dave Meltz is basically saying this is the best, in his opinion, this is the best tag team division of all time. Now, before I give my thoughts on Dave's uh, statement, to go back to what you said about Hangman, the way you said about his gimmick of being an alcoholic, I mean, say what you're all about that gimmick, but if Hangman Page came to Glasgow, we'd probably elect him as our mayor with that gimmick. Yeah, he'd probably be in charge of AA if he was in Glasgow. He doesn't drink <laughs> nearly enough. <laughs> probably. <but laughs> to kind of counter what Dave said, like, I get why they made the comparison with the 80s, because you actually look back on it. And it's weird when people say Vince isn't a fire tag person, when you look back, get foundation you had Arn and Tully for a while you had Road Warriors Demolition and people like that you actually look at the strength of the teams you had but like oh no they never had anywhere near this like well I don't think anybody was busting out Melzer drivers in the fucking 80s like in a Road Warriors Heart Foundation match or whatever <laughs> like of course okay. they didn't have to win that to, near that like caliber because that wasn't the style at the time yeah Can you I imagine someone doing a Melzer driver on Hawk and just having him no-sell it. I mean, that's what would have happened. Um, yeah. I, mean, I mean, a high spot in the 80s was like a double drop kick, which is probably the only reason Rock and Roll Express were over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I completely uh, agree with the uh, with what Scott was saying there. Oh. Is that... Can someone, sorry, sorry, can someone cut that clip of Scott saying that and tag Jim Cornette? <laughs> everybody, everybody needs to do that. <laughs> I'll send it to him myself. Fuck him. <laughs> Fucking um, no, I, I have to I have to agree with uh, Scott though. Is that it's I think impossible to sort of rate those two sort of tag team divisions uh, against one another. I mean, even in the early '90s, uh, WCW had a pretty good tag tag division up until ninety ninety four ninety five. I, I don't know. I, pre-1997, I, I do get a little shaky. But um, I, I think even in 99 and early 2000, the tag team division in WWF was was pretty good. And it was sort of the midpoint to where the style is today and where the style was then. Um, but, yeah, in 2020, it's hard to argue that anyone else has a better tag division um, in wrestling, at least in the States. Uh, and putting those two decades side by side... Uh, whether it be the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, whatever, against today, it's just not the same thing. It, it's literally like comparing apples 
and catfish. It's just not the same thing. <laughs> it's it's simply not the same thing. It's just like, hey, do you want to go down and get some fish and chips, or do you want to go into this orchard over here and pick an apple off of the thing and wipe it and then eat it? Uh, it's not the same thing. So I think yes, the, the AEW tag division is very very good, but you can't compare it to where because look, FTR arguably the brainbusters, you know, for all their faults and all their. Uh, and, and everything else. But then you have teams that have never sort of done the things that are going on today, like the Lucha Brothers. When have you ever seen a tag team that does what the Lucha Brothers do every single week? You have the Young Bucks, who, since they became the Young Bucks, have changed tag team wrestling as a whole. I, you know, I mean, I hate to stand up on my soapbox here, but everybody always wants to bitch and moan and say like oh well obviously this is better than this was back in the 80s and it's like well back in the fucking 80s we didn't have blue screen technology and now you, people you know if you, you can't hold fucking die hard up against and avengers endgame like you, it, it can't be done so like you, you just got to be able to accept that they're two very different things just sort of learn to enjoy what they are when they are um based in the time that they are. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I'd have to completely agree with you, Jimmy, apart from your thing about saying a fish and chip shop would be next to an orchard. An orchard. Like, that's, that's madness. That's madness. Uh, but <laughs> I think it depends. It also depends what you like. This is just Big Dave's opinion. I know Big Dave's opinion gets treated as fact a long time, and then if something's treated as a fact, you have the people to argue against it. But... It depends how you enjoy wrestling. If you just think, okay, whatever gets the biggest reaction from the live crowd and pulls in some decent ratings, those are clearly the best wrestlers. And you're going to have to look at WCW at its height and, uh, and the WWE or F at the time for its Attitude Era. So for, for that, you're going to be looking at Edge and Christian, the Dudleys, the Hardys, uh, Too Cool the APA people like that have been some of the deepest tag team division, new age outlaws, of course, the Hollies, the Hollies. You don't want to forget the Hollies, the fucking Hollies, uh, test and Albert, uh, yeah, Kai and Ty. I'm not listing them all. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) like everything like that as being, well, that's the deepest tag division because ratings were in the seven, eight millions at the time. So, uh, but I can't pretend to know anything about 80s All Japan. Literally, I can't pretend. Well, I could, but I'd just be making shit up. Stay tuned to the to the podcast feed, ladies and gentlemen, as Nathan solos all of <laughs> 1980s All Japan Pro Wrestling to determine... <laughs> <laughs> no, that's going to be a punishment. Coming up at some point, someone's going to have to watch 80s All Japan. Uh, oh, my God. But, yeah, it depends how you rank wrestling. If you're going to rank it by in-ring ability then yeah for the time this is probably the best but then you can't pretend that wwe doesn't have some phenomenal tag teams if they give them some time to show that look at the era of tag team wrestling that was taking place in nxt just a couple of years ago granted the revival were there now ftr uh they were there uh at the time that i'm talking about but with american alpha and then aop coming in and diy and then you had tm61 which was a stupid name but they had they were a really good tag team um you know, you had uh, just like a, a handful of other tag teams that were there at the time. And if you look at any era close enough, uh, I've always been a huge, huge, huge fan of tag team wrestling. 
Uh, it's probably one of my favorite things, not only to watch, but to call. I think that that uh, tag team wrestling is is such like a really fun aspect of wrestling. And don't get me wrong. You put two guys in a ring for a one on one contest like we'll talk about later on in this show. Um, and it's it could easily be a classic. But for some reason, tag team wrestling to me is just it, it's it's just the, the top of it. But uh, let's move along swiftly because we have plenty more wrestling to talk about as we talk about Lance Archer with Jake Roberts in his corner taking on the bad boy Joey Janela with uh Sonny Kiss in the corner good to see Sonny on TV love her love her to pieces um Joey Janela love him too he's great I'm not so sure about the short shorts on him though I I was kind of digging that he was wearing the longer pants I think that works for him a little bit better uh but what did not work for him was trying to take it to Lance Archer, the Murder Hawk, as this match went 11 minutes and 17 seconds. Uh, and uh, Lance Archer came home with the victory over Joey Janela. But Joey Janela gave a one hell of a fight. Lance Archer, of course, has been listening to this podcast, stealing a line from our uh, joke sniper, uh, Scott McLeod. Uh, and he came out with Sonny Kiss half dead on his shoulders. Um, and uh, fucking A, let's have more of that. That's going to be the entrance from here on out. You, I'm put me on the record as saying, "Fuck Pyro, come out with a dead person, a half dead person on your shoulders, throw the mask first into the ring, and see what happens." Um, but yeah, I'm gonna go to Nathan first. Nathan, uh, Lance Archer versus Joey Janela. What did you think about it? I love Lance Archer. I want um, all Lance Archer matches to begin with him just carrying people to the ring, but. I want every week for him to have another person. So, like, he starts off with one, and then next week it's two people, and then he starts carrying three people to the ring. And he just keeps going until he can't carry, until he reaches a point where he falls over halfway down the ramp, and just dead people just scurry across, like, all around the ring. And he just creates this army of corpses. Uh, this is why I'm not working for a wrestling company. Uh I I'm not can't pretend to be a fan of Joey Janela. Like I don't hate him, I don't like him. He's just kind of eh. He's a bit flumpy, so I agree with Jimmy that maybe he should be wearing trousers. Yeah. Uh, but I thought this was good. It was it was good. It was a squash essentially. It was a good squash. Lance Archer needed some momentum after a loss to Cody. I think that kind of hurt him quite a lot because perhaps arguably that loss came too quickly. Uh, I love Jake Roberts. I've always liked Jake Roberts. I've watched a lot of his older stuff because his peak was before I was birthed into this cursed world. Um, but I've seen a lot of his work and I love him. And I'm glad to see him getting some TV time. And if you've ever watched his documentary, uh, The Resurrection of Jake the Snake, which was on Netflix, but I don't think it's there anymore, but you'll be able to find it somewhere. Go back and watch it. And it'll make you fall in love with the guy and uh, the fact that he's managed to reach this point again. But yeah, I thought it was pretty, pretty bang on. Uh, I think arguably Joey Janela maybe got a little bit too much offense. But if they want to keep some credibility for Joey, he probably needed it. But good to see Lance Archer get a strong win and just beating people up during his entrance. Absolutely. Scott, your thoughts? I really enjoyed, yeah, I like the fact that this whole bringing somebody out on his shoulders has become part of his entrance. I remember on Dark a few weeks back, he brought out some, like, tech guy who worked backstage and left him, like, laying on the mat, like, on the outside of the ring before his match. This was, like, a five-minute match, and as soon as he won, the guy on the outside suddenly started coming to, 
So he walked outside the ring and immediately went back to beating that guy up. So <laughs> <laughs> I just love this is part of his, his just thing now. Uh, yeah, I think 11 minutes was maybe a bit long for this match. I know they wanted to at least give some credibility to Janela, but I think if you wanted that, you think you should have just gave him like a quick flurry at the start and not have him look like an idiot by just setting up a table, which he then had to go through. And I don't know if this is just me, but I was weirdly distracted while watching this match because I just looked at them because I don't know, like, well, I naturally like the long pants and then Janelle was like basically wearing like trunks. I just looked at them like, you guys ever got the exact same colour scheme for your gear? Like they both had like the black and red. And I'm just looking at like, guys, could you not have like talked about this before you came out? Because you're just matching it. It's just distracting me. Well, Janela didn't even realize his tag team partner was getting the shit kicked out of him uh, before he walked out for his entrance. You saw that when Joey uh, Janela came out, he did look behind him as to be like, where's my tag team partner and stuff. Uh, I don't know. I think that it was cool to have Archer come out beating up um, Sonny Kiss, but it should just be more randoms, I think, because uh, that's just it's endlessly entertaining to me. Um I what they should I, have, what they should have done, if they should have had Jerry Janetta backstage before his entrance, talking to Sonny Kiss as he was getting focused for his match, then have Lance Archer's hand come round Sonny Kiss and grab uh, her away, and then have Jerry Janetta carry on talking to Sonny Kiss, not realizing she's not there. Yeah, that would have been great. Would have been absolutely fantastic. At least we would but, have known why Jerry Janetta is an idiot. See, and you think, and you think that you shouldn't be working for a wrestling company. You should have been there for that particular uh set of uh set of vignettes that would have been absolutely excellent um but uh yeah that match we you know it was good wasn't horrible uh moving on uh next up is the eight-man tag team match the the butcher of the blade pentagon jr and ray phoenix taking on uh ftr cash wheeler dax harwood and the young bucks matt and nick jackson this match goes about 16 and a half minutes and it was um, to steal a line from one of my wrestling friends. This was Nardbars Rodriguez. This absolutely insane set of moves that they were doing on one another. Um, Pentagon Jr. with that. I'm sorry. No, it was uh, Ray Phoenix with that springboard uh, Canadian destroyer off the center rope to I think it was Nick Jackson, Matt Jackson. I always get them confused. The blonde one, uh, the blonde one with the longer hair off the middle rope, out to the uh, to the outside. Um, just unbelievable stuff. Um, these eight guys went out there and really just killed it. Um, and then, of course, next week at Fight for the Fallen, we have one-on-one for the first time ever, FTR versus the Lucha Brothers. And um, again, I'm going to take a little bite of that plate of crow that I had because I would have rather seen uh, FTR versus the Lucha Brothers one-on-one for this match. But this match was so good, I don't mind waiting another week for it. Um, Scott, I'm going to you first. What did you think of this insane 16 and a half minute eight man tag team contest? Oh yeah, this was this was definitely a match of the night. I think everybody had an idea that it would be, and I think it had high expectations to kind of live up to, and it's not out the park. And I, I have a feeling that they're going to repeat that next week with FTR v Lucha Brothers because even Dax Hartwood, I believe it was, basically said we intend for this to end up being a match of the year candidate. Uh, so also they want to just go out and be like the best they can. I know that a lot of people basically assume that FGR and Buck kind of had to, and even the commentators basically counted out Lucha Brothers and that. I think they use Lucha Brothers and, F- and Butcher and Blade winning, or well, won it, gives like I think the biggest win that Butcher and Blade have had so far in their career. 
like in AEW that is, and plus it helped further the story between FTR and Young Bucks because you like I like the fact that they were working so well together during the match, and it's just one like mistake where I think Nick accidentally kicks Stacks, and then that leads to Lucha Bros being able to put him away for the win. So that one mistake cost them, and you know FTR are gonna like hold a grudge about that. And also like the fact that they were you'd have one member of FTR, one member of Young Bucks doing each team's respective tag moves that like Dash and Nick, I think it was, hitting the uh, the all night express form of the shatter machine. Uh, I think that's the move I fought for most in this match. It took me back to when it was like DIY and Revival fight versus AOP and uh, TakeOver Orlando, where they basically they were doing each other's moves and teaming up because they knew they had to get AOP out of the match. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree 100%. Um, yeah, I just, I, I can't say enough good things about this. Uh, Nathan, do you feel the same? Yeah, 100%. I love this match. Easily match of the night. Uh, for me, I like the subtlety and some of the storytelling that FTR and the Young Bucks they they were very they were very proud tag teams, but they were also trusting each other as well to, as Scott just said, pull off each other's moves and do everything like that. Uh, I I don't know what you guys thought of the the Canadian destroyer to the outside of the group of people uh, spot. I I did really like it, although it was a little bit convoluted. Uh, I also I love the Lucha Bros. Pe- Pentagon Junior is one of my favorite wrestlers working today, and uh, I, yeah, just I really enjoyed this match. Couldn't say enough good things about it. Can't wait until one day this is going to lead to FTR v the Young Bucks, and I'm here for it. You know, the best thing I can say about this match is they keep doing like across both nights they do the whole like picture in picture thing without like, that hashtag they wanted people to tweet out. But half the time when they do this whole picture picture thing, it feels like they thought the guys realise they're at a break, so they kind of just slow shit down. And it's really not worth paying attention to when it's doing picture picture. <laughs> yeah, this is one of the only matches I've actually seen while they do that when they do that that actually kept your interest during picture in picture. So I think that's just another like knock in its favour. Yeah, and uh, I think the the slow burn that we're getting for the inevitable FTR versus Young Bucks match is fantastic. Uh, I think, honestly, Butcher and the Blade have never been more interesting than they have been the last couple of weeks. Uh, Ever since FTR came in, they had that fantastic match a couple of weeks ago on Dynamite. Now they're doing this team up with the Lucha Brothers, and then we're getting FTR versus the Lucha Brothers. If anybody and their grandmother is not expecting FTR versus the Lucha Brothers to be tag match of the year... Uh, they are mistaken, and they need to re-up their meds because that match is going to be yeah. fucking fantastic, and I cannot fucking wait. Something that I could if wait anything, for, though. If, if anything tops it, it's going to be one of the best matches of all time. But my final point on the Butcher and the Blade, first off, you're right. They have been interesting, which I need to apologize for because behind their backs, I've been very mean to them. But I would be less mean to them if Blade would change his fucking name because he's not Blade. Well, he's not Blade. He's the Blade. Hashtag not my Blade. I mean, I want them, if in the next couple of weeks, they change their tag finisher to a skating uphill. I'm pretty sure they could win your round. No, they can't. They can't <laughs> win me round. <laughs> if, they come... until, if they join the MCU, then I will forgive them. But if they come out to, like, bumping 90s techno music and blood raining down from the ceiling, would you be into that then? Okay, if on... If live on TNT there is a blood orgy, 
I will forgive them. All right, ladies and gentlemen, make sure to go tweet uh, at the butcher and the blade and see if they can get that cleared. Also no, at at Tony Khan. I was just gonna say that, or at Tony Khan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> something something that I definitely could have done without uh, was this two minute and ten second match with Nyla Rose taking on Let's Be Fucking Real Jobbers, um, where Nyla Rose came out, destroyed them in two minutes, and that was the end of it. This match meant nothing to me. I could, if you pay if you had a gun to my fucking head. I could not tell you a single fucking thing that happened in this match other than Nyla Rose winning. This was a huge waste of time for not only Nyla, but the other two competitors in the match who are listed on Wikipedia as Kenzie Page and Kylan King. Um, Cool, I guess. (laughs) Um, Nyla should have definitely been wrestling literally anybody else. I know Big Swole got suspended or whatever. I'm not sure if that took place before this or after this, but like, why couldn't we have Nyla versus Big Swole? Why couldn't we have Nyla versus fucking um, Britt Baker's little bodyguard chick? Or, uh, I mean, anybody. Anybody. Chris Statlander, fucking Penelope Ford, fucking anybody. Why did it have to be this smack dab in the middle of a of a show that was like pretty fun and pretty decently paced at this point? This felt... Like they just slammed on the brakes on the show. And I I could go on for another two and a half minutes about what I didn't like about this match even existing. This was just a big waste of time for everybody involved. And before commentary even got started talking, Nyla Rose had already beaten them. So really, what was the point? We know Nyla Rose is a beast. We know that she's capable of doing incredible things. What did this do for anybody? My answer is nothing. Um, Nathan, what did you think of this garbage fire of a handicap match uh it, it was fine it got nola rose uh important win in the division and if wins and losses matter as much as we get told they do then that's a big important thing i think really what this shows is just the overall weakness of the women's division in aew they get so much right but with the women's division they seem to get a lot wrong at times and it just shows that nola rose can lose the women's championship disappear for a bit come back win a squash match and seemingly from a storyline standpoint she's the only viable option yeah she's still the number one ranked uh woman yeah. in the division but she just lost the title to Sheeda. so why is she still number one ranked why and she's getting this big squash win which is important because you want someone like nyla rose to look strong because she is clearly an important cog of the women's division as she should be but it kind of just shows that they've got nothing else. They're like, okay, Shida is the champion. She's just done a nice, successful defense. Who do we have? Oh, shit. We're going to have to go straight back to the former champion. Mm-hmm. So, like, and I know that uh, Britt Baker was probably the idea until the injury. Swole is suspended at the minute. Like, I, I don't know if she was injured or what the legit thing is going on there. Maybe they're just telling the story. But, like... It just kind of shows the continued fault, I guess, of AEW, which is the women's division. Kind of, It's very stop and start, the women's division. They haven't quite got that right yet. But so if they do build to Nyla V. Shida again, it's going to be another great match. So, yeah. I will keep mine as a brief. One, the one spot I think I remember is maybe Nyla Parabond one job on the other. I think that might have happened. It sounds like something that could have happened. Yeah, I don't think we needed this match to like put over that Nyla's done. I think they've 
done that already. I think the whole thing with Swole is a storyline, but like given that I believe Statlander's injured and now Baker's injured, I mean you've got two of your main women's like two of the main women on your roster injured, she'd really be doing a storyline which means one of your other over wrestlers is not wrestling for the next few weeks. Like I don't know really know what the point was. Uh, yeah, I don't know how to say it. Like, I could not give I could not give two shits. Yeah, I mean, definitely. This was definitely the low point until the next match. Now, the next match goes about 11 minutes, 11 and a half minutes. It's a six-man tag team match with Cole Cabana and the Dark Order, Brody Lee and Stu Grayson, taking on all of SoCal Uncensored, Christopher Daniels, Frankie Kazarian, Scorpio Sky. And something dawned on me pretty early on into this match, and I know that this might not be a popular opinion, but these two acts probably give me the most like I don't give a fuck vibes I just could not care less about the Dark Order or SoCal Uncensored right now I don't know what it is they're all very effective wrestlers Stu Grayson is a very good wrestler Brody Lee is a very good wrestler Cole Caban is a legend he's absolutely fantastic Christopher Daniels Frankie Kazarian Scorpio Sky Scorpio Sky was on fire like three months ago and it's right back to SoCal Uncensored now. I think they should have moved him to the singles division when they had the chance. Um, I ended up looking at my phone for most of this match because I just didn't care. Uh, I think that from what I saw, it was good. It was good wrestling and stuff, but I just, I don't know. I just don't care. Um, Scott, do you feel the same? Yeah, I could have had a disagreement with, with Reese in the group chat the other day about SDU because I think they're not fully being utilized as a trio as well as they could be because it feels like either they're putting people over uh, like since they lost the tie belts or just they're appearing on dark getting wins or just nobodies and like they said over the last month oh I think they've said that uh, it's going to be Kaz and Daniels in the, the tie division and Scorpio Sky is now a singles guy well that's good but you've not done anything to capitalise on that you've mainly kept them like on dark for the last few weeks so yeah I definitely think you're not utilising as well as the whole thing with the dark order uh, I like the whole thing where they've been recruiting people, but I think as we talked about with Double or Nothing, the loss to uh, Moxley, and they called him Ambrose, uh, really hurt Brody Lee, and this whole thing with Coke Cabana, like, I get what they're going for, and they should be getting more established people, like, recruited to their side, but I don't think anybody believes for a second that in the end, this is going to culminate with Coke Cabana actually joining the Dark Order. Yeah, I, I don't know, and um, real quick before I go to before I go to Nathan, I want to ask both of you: When did Dark turn into an hour and a half long version of like named guy versus nobody who's gonna lose to the named guy? Like, because every time I see that they have a um, that they have uh, like they you know they release the uh, the cards or whatever like a couple of days before Dark. And it's like 10 or 12 matches and maybe one or two matches. You're like, oh, that might be pretty good. But everything else is like, oh, Scorpio Sky is easily going to beat this guy I've never heard of. And Lance Archer is definitely going to beat this guy I've never heard of. And all of that. Like, when the fuck did that happen? It happened a couple of months ago. I actually kind of like it like most weeks because it takes it back to like some of the like, sea shows from back in the day where you'd have mostly enhancement matches for like some of your top guys. And I'm sure the guys who who wouldn't be working unless they were doing stuff getting like squashed on dark 
uh, wouldn't have much else to do during the pandemic, so I'm sure they're grateful for it. But I do enjoy it. I know there's going to be a certain uh, title match uh, next week, which I'm sure we'll come to that in a bit. But I kind of enjoy it. And oh, I, like, I was almost forgetting the next point. The one thing negative I'll have a bit dark, and I'll only mention this just for a second, is they keep featuring Luther on it. And I know he's maybe Jericho's style, I'm sure back in the 90s he was a big deal. I don't think I've ever seen a worse wrestler than this guy. Honestly, get the fuck off my TV, you fat, high-pitched, screeching prick. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> he's the original death dealer. Well, I'm pretty sure we've had some new ones since then. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> he said on Jericho's podcast he was very nearly the exalted one I'm glad you're fucking not <laughs> big big claim from Scott McLeod Nathan um, uh, about this uh, this six man did you happen to give any semblance of a damn about what that whatever the hell this was supposed to be you know uh, before we came on this podcast I didn't we didn't discuss our opinions of this match and I thought I was coming in here with a hot take. I had it freshly baked in the oven. I was steaming hot. I was ready to throw it at both of you and burn you two with it. And it turns out we're all on the same kind of level playing field. <laughs> I think these two have honestly ventured into comedy act territory. And the reason I thought it is before here we had a vignette, uh, sorry, a vignette, a backstage bit with Colt Cabana all taped up and Brody Lee coming in and being like you will be in this six man tag t- tonight and I was like is this meant to be funny was kind of my whole thing because Colt Cabana was all bruised up and whatever and um, and they came up with this match they're all great wrestlers all of them Grayson Brody Lee especially is fantastic Colt Cabana I've not seen a lot of his indie work but I understand he once had a good podcast so that means he must be great and um, and SCU, obviously, I know Scorpio Sky is fantastic. Christopher Daniels, his Fallen Angel work speaks for itself. Frankie Kazarian, if you follow him on Twitter, you know he invented the Canadian Destroyer. And um, like, they're all great, but something's missing. And it's just that I don't take these acts seriously. Mm-hmm. And it was a good match. It was fine. It was one with a clothesline. And that's yeah. great, because that reminds me of JBL, which I always want to be reminded of. And, oh, uh, who doesn't? Yeah, what a guy. Great yeah. hat. To be fair, oh, JBL, a phenomenal hat. To be fair, JBL's one good quality was his clothing. Oh, it was great, and he wore a great cowboy hat, and if I'm thinking of cowboy hats, I then eventually get to Timothy Oliphant. And he had a great cowboy hat for a bit. And Justified was a fantastic show. Genuinely one of my favorite shows. Walter um, Goggins as Boyd Crowther. What a performance. Oh, absolutely. If, if you haven't watched Justified, ladies and gentlemen, not only for the hats and the accents alone, um, you need to go back and watch that for the performances t- uh, that Timothy Oliphant and Walton Goggins give because that show is fantastic. Um, oh, my God, the Western. If, if Batman and Joker were cowboys, it would be Boyd Crowther. And uh, Raymond Givens, Gibbons. Um, Gibbons. Of, yeah, I think it's Gibbons. What, what, what a show! Fantastic. Um, Justified is better than this six-man tag. And uh, 
quickly before we get to the main event, uh, I did forget to mention the uh, uh, the Taz and Brian Cage promo. Who can stop the path of Cage? I really think that needs to leave the entrance theme because this that it's annoying. It's bad. I don't like it. Um, but Taz comes out. He's got a big bag in his hand and he's shooting from the hip, brother, brother. And then he reintroduces the FTW World Heavyweight Championship, first brought up in ECW, uh, brought back in, I believe, WWF for a short period of time. Um, it has never been recognized officially by any promotion until now in 2020, because next Tuesday on Dynamite, we have uh, Brian Pillman Jr. taking on Brian Cage for the FTW World Heavyweight Championship. And honestly, I think this is pretty fucking cool. What'd you guys think? See, I would be, I would like this more if, like, I agreed with what people online were saying that maybe he'll leave this until after the Moxley match because I doubt he's gonna win that. So you kind of, you kind of, he's gonna have one successful defense of the title and then he's gonna lose to Moxley, which may then lower the vault, the quality of the FTW title, and people really not caring about it. And then hence not caring about Brian Cage. So maybe save it until after the Moxley match. But I do like the idea of it bringing him back. And if he's actually going to defend it, then fair enough. Although I do feel bad for Brian Pillman Jr. Because it's bad enough he had to lose to Sean Spears last week on Dark. Maybe he's going to get murdered. Get a bit murdered by Cage. And I really, I really like Brian Pillman Jr. I just want to say I really hope he goes far in AEW. Just want to throw that out there. Well, his per, his match against Sean Spears actually garnered the highest uh, live viewings of uh, Dark in its history. I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 343,000 live watchers at, at the time uh, when that episode premiered. So, I mean, good on Brian Pimlin Jr. He's worked for us uh, once or twice in Pro Wrestling Magic, and he is as good as people say he is, if not better. Also a really great guy. Nathan, what would you uh, think of the FTW uh, World Heavyweight title now becoming... Part of the AEW landscape. I think I like Brian Cage. I'm going to say that first before I say anything else. I really like him. I loved his work in Impact. He did some really, really great stuff over in there. I think part of this act is becoming a little bit too much about Taz. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, And yeah. I know the FTW, some ECW diehards or big wrestling fans in the 90s they're going to be like oh yeah i can't can't wait but for me it's just you're just dragging some nostalgia out and connecting it with brian cage like it's like when they gave ted dibiase jr the million dollar belt in wwe it seems like a cool idea because of the surname is attached to it and blah blah but it ended up being a bit of a death nail because he was never going to be that good sorry scott go I was going to agree with you, but it's been like that because maybe he's got the like, belt that Taz brought in originally. He's basically given Cage Taz's old catchphrase because he's always saying the promo saying, beat Cage if you can survive if he lets you, which is fair enough, but like you've just basically get taken your catchphrase and just handed it to someone else. So basically a lot of, even though Brian Cage is kind of almost a freak in what he can actually do in the ring, you're basically just making him Taz 2.0, which in the long run is going to hurt him. Yeah, it, it is in my in my opinion, which may or may not prove to be wrong. Hopefully I'm wrong, but like Taz, as amazing as Taz was, ECW 
and hot take time ecw has never had a bigger audience than when the wwe network got launched because ecw was never this huge thing it was bubba ray dudley once um or bully ray sorry as he's known now once described it see i'm getting it wrong already and um, was uh, once described as being Napster, was it? it wasn't around for very long, but it changed things. And ECW wasn't around for very long. And people don't necessarily remember ECW. And we should be creating new things. Like, sure, used Taz for his promo ability, because Brian Cage isn't necessarily an amazing promo. But don't just turn him into Taz, into what Taz would want to be if he was in AEW. Now, that being said, it could be cool. Hopefully, it's awesome. And, right. Sorry. I, I don't. I don't think. Like, I don't know why Taz was acting like Mox is dodging him. It's not like Mox has been avoiding this challenge for three months, and then they were supposed to have this title, this title match, and then Mox was like, uh, uh, "I'm sick," oh, or my arm hurts, or no, he has his wife has fucking COVID. So he has to fucking, it got pushed back a week. Now, if they have the match next week and Mox barely scrapes by with a win and then is like, ha ha, fuck you. Now you don't get to fight me for my title for a little while until you work your way back up. And then the following week, Taz was like, oh, well, it was bullshit. And now management won't give us the title rematch that we, that he so rightfully deserves and stuff. But now like, I'm going to give him this title and stuff. And it's like, well, wait a second. Like, that would make a little bit more sense. Like, then give him the FTW, like, the fuck the world title. Be- because then you have a reason to want to fuck the world. You still have your title match. You just have to wait seven days. So, like, what's the big deal? Can you also say, if you watch this segment back, uh, Taz is seeming so passionate about Cage being the new champion and what, how much this FTW belt meant to him originally. Cage looked like... He could basically take her lead being the champion. He kind of just like, oh, all right, I'll have the belt. And he just raised that, like, Cage looked like he couldn't give a fuck. I just don't think, I don't think it means anything because I don't think people remember it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's the thing that really I'm getting at. Is it, it's as sad as it is for Taz. Like, it's, it's, a, it's great. And it was over with the ECW live crowd and those people that would watch. I hate to sound like Eric Bischoff does every week on 83 Weeks whenever anyone asks him about ECW. He's like, yeah, like 80,000 people were watching that or whatever it was. But, like, I'm not shitting on what ECW was, but not, does anyone remember this? I didn't. I I, 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 I know totally of do. it because there were, like, pictures of it and stuff, but it didn't... It, well, Scott... I mean, Scott would be the same. It didn't get over here during the 90s, like when it was actually going down. I just think it's a very niche thing to bring out. And people remember it because they might have seen it in the um, the downfall of WCW documentary that WWE did. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I just think it's a weird thing to when you've got someone like Brian Cage, who is a freak athlete. He isn't a terrible promo. Like the guy cut some great ones in Impact. I just don't really know what Taz adds other than it seems like so far next week he's going to be walking out in a 2001 Taz attire from WWF, that weird armless suit thing that he wore. No, but I mean, like, also he didn't... uh, Taz never actually explained to us what the difference 
between the AEW world title and the FTW world title actually is. It's just another piece of leather with some gold on it. And, like, I don't understand, like, what the difference is going to be match-wise. You know, yeah. now it, it just sort of seems like more of a... Like I said, if this had been going on for a few weeks or a few months and something, like, it seemed like maybe Mox was dodging him for one or another reasons, then fine. Um, but, like, this just comes because... Brian Cage didn't want to wait any longer. And it's just like, well, you weren't really waiting that long to begin with. You just yeah. came into the company fucking two months ago. Yeah, you're only waiting one more week. So why not build the importance of this match by just... Hey, you don't have to say why Moxley is avoiding the match. One thing I would really hate is if they came out and he was like, he's got COVID, so we can't wrestle this week. Like, I don't want that. But, like, why did this necessitate the introduction of another title? When it's only, you're right, it's only seven days. Now, to say that, the match is going to be awesome. The match is going to be fine, yeah. I'm sure that the match is going to be great anyway. But like I said, if after the match, uh, we suddenly got, uh, you know, like uh, Mox wins by a fluke or whatever, then refuses to fight him again until he works his way back up the ranks, then Taz introduces the title. I just think it came out of sync, and it seems like it was just scrambled, and they were like, oh, fuck it, we got this title, let's do that now. And mm. that kind of sucks. You know, if plus, you want to introduce another... Sorry, Scott, you go. I was going to say, plus, like, the only reason he gave him the belt is like, oh, you're the uncrowned champion. But what happens if, like, he retains it on Dart and then has the match with Moxley? Like, say he wins against Moxley. What happens then? Then he's no longer uncrowned. So, like, the whole point of having the FPW belt is he doesn't have the AEW title at the minute. So what if he walks in and wins, then you immediately devalue... Like, oh well we don't need them because we're only holding on to this because we couldn't get this built and now we have it I was going to say if you really want to introduce a fake world championship which is what the FTW title is I don't mean to disparage it that bad no, no, you're right and, it's a um, fake, yeah. is you have this is if you really want to introduce it storyline wise this is where you have a dodgy ref decision mm-hmm. which is the Moxley I don't know it, you can't really have a character like Moxley tap out can you you can have Brian Cage tap out at the same time as Moxie gets a pinfall and the ref's like, I only saw the pinfall. Well, that could be where you're like, well, fuck the world. The ref got the decision wrong. So you're the real world champion because you actually had Moxie's shoulders down. And uh, But this is, just feels like saying, like, we, this, title's been, this match has been pushed back a week, so I win. If you want and, a real, if you really want to watch someone with, go around with a fake world title, just your best just turn into impact because Miss is doing it a lot better. Yeah, a hundred percent. I don't. I haven't even watched it, but I read something recently about the TNA World Championship thing, and apparently that's a hundred percent better. Yeah, because he's been defending it, and Josh Matthews, he's almost getting like Mugatu levels of like he's not. He's not defending. He's not a champion. Like, has anyone noticed this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Speaking of taking absolute crazy pills, ladies and gentlemen, it is. Main event time of the evening over on AEW for Fighter Fest Night 2. And of course, that means it was Le Champion, Chris Jericho, taking on freshly squeezed Orange Cassidy. New music, from what I remember. I, it's been a few days since I've watched it, but uh, I, I don't think that he should be coming out with new music. Just, that's just me. Any hoozle. Um, this match, as I stall while I'm opening the window back up, this match goes 18 minutes on the nose. Um, uh, Jericho, of course, came out with Santana and Ortiz, 
And uh, Orange Cassidy came out with the best friends, Chuck and Trent. Because I now feel like both of them need question marks at the end because I think that's just fun instead of having a last name. Um, this match um, did not suffer the thing that the opening match did, at least in my opinion. I believed Orange Cassidy could have take, come away with the win. Maybe I'm just a little biased just because I love Orange Cassidy so much. Uh, but this match was a whole hell of a lot of fun. And it just barely beat out the eight-man tag team match, in my opinion, for match of the night. I think this was spectacular. Um, the only gripe I really have with this match was the way in which Jericho won. Uh, he hits a back elbow earlier in the match, and you could even hear it on commentary that uh, they didn't know what to call it because his his other move is, guess what, a fucking back elbow. Um, Any uh Scott, let's start with you. Uh, Jericho, Cassidy, main event, what did you think? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed like how Cassidy came out like, he promised he would try. He didn't ask the best friends to come with him. He comes out. He doesn't even do like his regular like just like the soft kicks until like halfway through the match. Until the, and even then he he busts out like an actual kick right at the end, which the commentator surprised. I so popped for that genuinely. Yeah. Like a couple of things that actually brought it down for me. As much as I enjoyed it was like one that I understood was how Jericho had to basically get the heat on. Cassidy did build to the point where Cassidy suddenly like goes come back and was actually busting out moves and was trying. But like the bits where Jericho's on offense it just really slowed it down, except for when he had him in the wall of Jericho down, you had like you were like desperate for Cassidy to get out of it, but like there were times where he was just working over Cassidy for what but like an eternity. And especially when they went to picture and picture where it basically just grinded to a halt, even slower than Cassidy usually walks. And then the inclusion of Santana and Ortiz the, the blatant, not not just throwing a little bit of like orange juice into his eyes. They basically leave a giant stain on the mat that Audrey Edwards slides into during one of the pins, and then you see you can see her looking down at her trousers like, oh god, I got fucking orange juice all over my gear. She actually tweeted out just after the show ended. Does anybody know how to get citrus out of a referee uniform? Um, which is funny and all, but yeah, you're, you're a hundred percent right. They hit orange Cassidy with so much orange juice. He wouldn't have been able to open his eyes the rest of the night with all that sugar and shit. That's in, it looked like Tampico, which I, I don't know. You guys probably don't know what Tampico is, but it's essentially like an orange drink that you get at bodegas in the States. Uh, I think maybe even just on the East coast and it's, uh, because that's like the consistency of the way that it looked. didn't look like orange juice to me. But uh, maybe that's just my New York bias. And, and I really think, like you said, like, I could have seen Cassidy winning. I think they could have even played it off as if cause Aubrey Edwards was really referee, so you could have Jericho blame her for it and keep their thing going. Jericho even said afterwards on Twitter that it's one of his favorite matches he's probably ever had, this match with Cassidy. So uh, wait for a couple of weeks when uh, Cassidy's on talking to Jericho, basically going beat for, for beat how they came up with the match. Like he did with Omega, like he did with Pineapple <laughs> Pete, and then they did for the Stadium Stampede. It's just, it's just what he does when they're not bashing the baby. Fuck Jericho, am I right? <laughs> Jesus Christ, yes. I, I, I've already said plenty of times that he's just a wide boy, drunk <laughs> piece of garbage, and he's still a very good wrestler and whatever, but there's just something there. I don't know what it is. And I'm doing that like Italian hand gesture because I'm thinking too heavily. 
Um, but Nathan, what did you think of the what did you think of the main event? Yeah, it it was good. There's a lot of good storytelling in here with Orange Cassidy obviously not coming out with the best friends, and then Santana and Ortiz being on the outside, Jericho cheating with with the bat and everything like that, and. Yeah, like wrestling-wise, you're going to find better main events easily. But for storytelling, I thought this was pretty spot on. I liked it when, obviously, when Orange Cassidy did the hands in the pockets and disaster kicks and then just hit a perfect super kick as well. I can't claim to a bit for any near falls for Orange Cassidy. I didn't believe for a second he was going to win this match, uh, which is maybe more my fault than them working the match because I thought they gave Orange Cassidy perfect chance to win it i can't pretend to get into the judas effect though as a legit finisher i don't think jericho hits it well enough i'm not saying i could hit it better i'm not like i'm not saying that but like like i've andrade for example hits a fantastic back elbow Mm -hmm. i think jericho i think it looks a little bit weak I like the Wolves Jericho, I like the Lion Soul, I like the Code Breaker, and I know those are WWE finishes, or WCW for the uh, for the Lion Soul and the Wolves of Jericho. And, uh, but I just don't think the Judas Effect looks looks good. But I, overall, I thought it was a great main event. I think Orange Cassidy, despite losing, got a hell of a lot from it. If, you wanted, if Jericho wanted to get like a, non, uh, a new finish, he didn't use WWE. I mean, could he not just bust at one of the thousands and four holds that he read out in WCW? Because I'm pretty sure he's only seen like 20% of the holds he's ever used in his career. He's, he's got something new, like, where's the moss-covered triple-handed family presenter, or whatever it's called? If he starts winning matches with arm bars... Then I was I'm just going to say that. <laughs> I was, and the whole time, just before he hits it, he just goes, arm bar! And then hits him with an arm bar, and then that's like the whole... That's the way he keeps winning matches. But that was Fighter Fest. Guys, overall, Fighter Fest night one and two as one gigantic two-night event. What did you guys think? Uh, give it some sort of, I don't know, journalistically binding rating that we can put on the internet that other people will quote from us. And even though it's our opinion, people will make out to be like it's fact and law. Uh, I'm going to give it duct tape. I don't believe in much, but I do believe in duct tape. Yeah, it's perfectly useful. It's great. It's super sticky, and it and Jericho is very wide. It'll cover all those ducts. Um, yep. Scott, what uh, what is your journalistically binding rating for both nights of Fighter Fest altogether? I, I definitely think Night Two helped bring up my overall opinion of Fighter Fest because I think Night Two overall was better than Night One because we talked about how. There were some big matches that didn't really, they didn't really hit as they you felt they would. So I'm going to give this a uh, Titan season two, and that there's some strong stuff. Uh, there's some strong <laughs> episodes. One or two don't hit as well as you, you thought they would, and uh, someone called Jericho plays a major role in it. Excellent, absolutely <laughs> excellent. And uh, I'm going to go with um, a Five Guys Burger. Perfectly serviceable, uh, tastes fine. Uh, not as messy as some other places as far as juice and whatnot, um, but uh, serviceable. And sometimes when you're done with the one, you kind of want to dive into a second one. So, um, yeah, overall, it was pretty much a okay. Uh, 
moving swiftly along here, ladies and gentlemen, as I go to another tab on my computer, not at all stalling for time, uh, we move on to NXT's Great American Bash Night 2, live from Full Sail in Florida, or Florida. What do you think of the uh, of the NXT Great American Bash theme that I've just edited into the podcast? Oh, oh, oh! It was it was gr- it was great. Super Fantastic. rock and roll, right? Rock and or roll. Didn't know they had one. Yeah, didn't know they had one until I did night one. Nice, excellent. Yeah, I didn't even realize they had uh, different little things anyway for it. All right, so uh, this had uh, two or three more matches that weren't listed when we went over the uh, the cards for night two. Thanks, Wikipedia. Um, uh, so we're going to go through the entire card, top to bottom, everything in between. Apparently, there was a dark match between Tony Nese and Leon Ruff. Why? There isn't a crowd. Don't know. <laughs> Tony um, Nese is literally on the card. <laughs> so random. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have like a time here for it. I don't know. Do you anyway, know Leon Ruff and that new uh, female referee they've got, they're dating. Ooh, scandalous. I know. Oh. <laughs> um, so let's dive. <laughs> <laughs> let's dive right in, ladies and gentlemen, to night two of Great America Bash. Uh, opening things up on the main card, because obviously they had to keep the uh, the packed house in attendance uh, satiated while uh, we waited for Candice LeRae versus Mia Yim in the street fight to open things up. This match goes about 16 minutes, 15 minutes, 51 seconds, according to Wikipedia. If we are wrong, then correct it on Wikipedia. You have that power. Um, Candice LeRae defeats Mia Yim in the battle of... Uh, eh. uh, match was all right, I guess. Candice LeRae takes the, takes the win. Cool. Um, Scott, what'd you think? Hey. I definitely think the street, street fight situation helped this match because, as I said last time, I'm not a fan of Mia Yim. Again, I like Candice Lurie, but I think these two together need something extra, so the stipulation obviously helped. I think what helped uh, AEW like, night two overall was the fact that this night, even though they had some good matches on it, it seemed like a building episode because it felt like they were building to the matches they were going to have next week because they need to like get a program fight for the following. Uh, but they don't have any WCW pay-per-views they can bring back out. And they were building to, like, what does everybody think of what happened in the main event? So some of the matches kind of took a backseat, I think, but I still enjoyed this. Uh, I think it was just maybe my cynical online wrestling brain, but I remember when they did that spot in the crowd through the table, like, wow, so great that they had that always weirdly placed platform to do that spot off of. And <laughs> I like I that they, they call back to William Regal when they had the brass nuts in the finish. And Gannis got to break out the swinging neck breaker from the the top, which he hasn't really used. I don't think since maybe the Mian Classic, because that was our, our finisher back then, onto the chairs to help put Mia Yim away. And hopefully that's just the end of this and they can both move on to better things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Nathan, your, uh, your, your thoughts on the opening Street Fighter? I had to disagree with you guys, but uh, I thought this was really good. Uh, I am a fan of Miriam and of Candice LeRae. And I thought they had a hell of a match. I thought it was violent. Like, they had the kendo stick shots out and everything. They were putting 
going through tables, tables that have bananas on them. How often do we see that? And not nearly uh, enough. No, not nearly enough. At one point when I was watching this match in uh, our front room, my girlfriend walked in and she went, I should buy some white denim shorts. <laughs> I thought that, that added some taste to this match. And um, I thought this was really good. Uh, I thought both participants got something out of it. The storyline has been leading to this way. Candice LeRae, surely she had to win a serious match at some point. Or they were just going to give up on her. I think if she didn't, it was dead and buried time for her character. But I thought she got a, a good win here in a nice heelish way. I thought it looked cool. And I thought this was a good match. I like Mia Yim. I'm not going to apologize for that. I mean, can I just say about the, uh, I almost forgot about the catering bit with like, the bananas and that. And yeah. like, they threw so much food off that table so they could use it. I felt so bad because from the stories I've heard about her, the, the PC trainees have been treated and like, don't waste that food. That's going to last them three days of taping. Yeah. That was the entire catering for Monday Night Raw this week. One half half a banana between two people just throwing <laughs> at each other the half because of social distancing. <laughs> There's some good looking oranges as well. Still in their net. Well, I mean, it is Florida. They didn't have to go very far. Says you. Uh, yes, says me. <laughs> Um, so next up, uh, on the card is, uh, the thick boy, Bronson Reed taking on Tony Nese and all 12 of his abs in a singles match, uh, that went about five minutes and 18 seconds. This match was whatever. And Bronson, Bronson Reed got the win. Um, Scott, what were your opinions on Bronson Reed and Tony Nese? Well, we talked about that dark match week. Are you so desperate to add some sort of story to this match that you felt the need to add a dark match? Because like you can have you can have cruiserweights and just regular roster members face off without any need for this kind of convoluted thing. Uh, Jimmy, I don't know if you've listened to me and Nathan's uh, alternative commentary to the British Royal Rumble, but I said on that that I think. Tony Nese looks like a Joey Fatone from Instinct Suddenly just got mega ripped. That's just what he looks like to me. And I'll just show you guys, Matt, the, the, the true comment I can make on this match is the fact that until you said it, I didn't realise that Bronson Reed won. For whatever reason, I thought Tony Nese won, so I just wasn't sure how much this match stuck in my head. Yeah, I don't, I, like, like I said, this match, a lot of this show... Uh, as we'll go through, is just sort of like, cool, they needed to have two hours of television this night. Uh, Nathan, Bronson Reed, Tony Nese, your thoughts? Um, I like Bronson Reed, I like Tony Nese. As far as giving an interesting comment on this match, uh, yes, this match happened. Excellent. Also what happened uh, this glorious night in Florida was Johnny Wrestling, Johnny Gargano, and Isaiah Swerve Scott. Sorry, sorry. In between this, a man got run over by a tank, and you're just <laughs> going to ignore it. Oh, you see, because I'm just going off the match card, uh, so that's why I forget certain segments oh, sometimes. So please, sorry. please enthrall us, enthrall us with uh, the man who got run over by a tank. Aaliyah was in the back alongside Tony Khan, and then, sorry misread that robert stone (laughs) 
And he walked <laughs> over to Shotzi Blackheart, who is perhaps the greatest wrestler in the world. According to me, he was with her tank. And uh, Tony Stone said that she could join his brand, but then Killian Dane interrupted uh, Robert Kahn. So um, this joke is getting old. And uh, then, then Killian Dane threw Khan Tony into a thing, and Shotzi ran over his leg with her tank. And he screamed, "I'm dying!" But no one cared. It, so Khan Khan just died. It just seems so unnecessary. Like, it seems unnecessary to kill Tony the Tiger. You ran over his leg. Just like for no reason. Like, what was what was the point of that? He didn't. Yeah. Stone Khan hadn't even done anything at that point. I know. Like, I, I don't know. I don't get this whole thing because I'm. I I'm clearly not as big a fan of this whole tank thing as you are, Nathan. I think the tank thing is cool because she drives a tank to the ring, and that's pretty cool. I don't understand uh, the Robert Stone story. And I can't pretend to. Like, I see online that they're, they're saying, oh, it's just a parody. They're just taking the piss out of Tony Khan. And at first I was like, no, because Chelsea Green is winning matches. So it can't be that. They're obviously doing something. But at this point, it's it's clearly them taking the piss out of Tony Khan. Like, <laughs> Okay. So Johnny Gargano took on Isaiah Swerve Scott next up in a match. That went about four mi- four, and a, uh, four and a quarter minutes. Uh, Johnny Gargano ended up getting the win. And finally, finally, uh, could you edit in uh, a little clip of uh Did you say four saying, and finally, a quarter minutes? 14 and a quarter minutes. Oh, sorry, I thought you said four. Sorry. No, no, no. Yeah. So finally, finally, please edit in The Rock doing a little bit of a finally right here. Already done it. Finally. Johnny Gargano and Isaiah Swerve Scott really breathed some life into this show. This this match was excellent. Johnny Gargano got the win. Big night for the Garganos here tonight as Candice LeRae vanquished Mia Yim. And Johnny Gargano got a big win over Isaiah Swerve Scott. Uh, this match was fantastic. Can't really, I can't really even think of one thing to uh, say against this match. It was both, both men really uh, gave it their all. They were really kind of kicking each other's asses there for a little while. And... For a minute or two, you could think maybe Isaiah Swerve Scott was going to win, but uh, that was not to be found as Johnny Gargano got the win here. I was a big fan of this. What say you, Nathan? Yeah, reiterate. Fantastic. Uh, what a match. It, t- if you hear Isaiah Swerve Scott is taking on Johnny Gargano and they get 14 minutes, uh, you know you're in for a treat. Big fan of Scott, as me and Scott said earlier in the show at the start of it, Isaiah Swerve Scott again to come out of the cruiserweight division and do something of note uh, is just awesome. He has some great gear as well, to give credit to, to the wardrobe of this show. And for a brief second, as some of the matches have done across both the shows, I didn't believe one person was winning. There was a couple of moments where I actually thought Swerve had won. And I was like, holy shit. Uh, and I bit a bit for a couple of the fools, but the right decision for Johnny to go over to get him and Candice a win on the night that tells their story going forward. But I thought Swerve Scott and Gargano just put on. Uh, do I want to say match of the night? I'm not sure. I don't know. 
I, I don't know. This and the main event, which we're going to talk about in a bit. Part of me wants to put this as match of the night, but I'm not sure if I'm right on saying that. But it was, it was an awesome match, and you should. If you're going to go out of your way, as Comrade Thompson likes to say, go out of your way to watch any match on any show, I'd say you're not making a mistake on picking just this one. Very nice, very nice. Uh, Scott, what say you? Yeah, I think like if you want a just a, I was going to justify like my reason for wanting to see Swerve do like stuff with like the Champa like matches like this are clearly evidence of it and why I'm such like, a big fan of his. Like I really enjoyed the sequences and like the back and forth between the two. And yeah, I had to agree that I didn't really go into it believe that Scott could have won, although I did kind of they did get me once or twice, but they didn't make him look shit. Well, when I just seemed like Johnny kind of being the more of a veteran almost in terms of NXT, the guy was smarter than him and kind of just got the win through those, those means. Is it just me or when Johnny, Johnny Gargano, he said in an interview when they were talking about how the Gargano's got a win on night two, uh, he said that to the interviewer, we're going to go and make some fireworks of our own. And the week kind of, kind of gave him a side eye. He's like, can you know, like basically Johnny Gargano was saying, excuse me, I'm going to go bang my wife. <laughs> Yeah, it's that sounds like. like the most PG way of saying, hey, I'm going to go fuck my wife. All credit to him if he is. <laughs> I mean, hey, there you why go. Not? Oh, I, <laughs> if, if she was, like, why not? <laughs> <laughs> can't, can't really argue with him there. Um, so uh, across the board, everybody uh, enjoyed this match. Uh, let's find out what everybody thought about the following match. Six-man tag team action, El Legado del Fantasma, Santos Escobar, Joaquin Wilde, and Raul Mendoza take uh, took on Drake Maverick and Breezango, Tyler Breeze and Fandango. This match goes about ten and a half minutes. Um, I was already kind of thrown off at the aspect of uh, Drake Maverick not coming out and doing a special fun entrance with Breezango, so that already affected my uh, internal rating for this oh, match, but... Yeah. But uh, I enjoyed the hell out of this match. El Legado del Fantasma get the win. Um, and, I mean, rightfully so. They're a new tag team. On, uh, they're a new stable on the rise. Uh, Raul Mendoza and Joaquin Wilde look great as the side, uh, like, henchmen to Santos Escobar. Uh, Tyler Breeze, Fandango, and Drake Maverick were all fantastic, as always. Uh, really good action throughout. Um, Scott. Uh, give me your thoughts, opinions, feelings, and emotions about this six-man tag team matchup. Yeah, I was really looking forward to it going in because they've done a lot the last couple of weeks to build this new heel stable in the Cruiserweight division. Like you had two or five lives the week before. You had an enhancement match for Wild and uh, Mendoza over a couple of jobbers. And they looked good. They had this, like, now, like, we hope he had like the clothesline Russian leg sweep. Well, they had like the Russian leg sweep, but like the other guy swung off the ropes and did a back like kick to the person, so it looked quite cool. And so they helped, like, even though before this they'd kind of been jobbers themselves, they made them look like, like believable henchmen for, uh, for Escobar, almost called him Fantasmo. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's just hard not to, but he, it was good that, that they worked over Fandango because it, it was believable because he's the guy. That, Missed significant thing with injury, so it really like built to the event of him getting the tag. And you wanted Escobar and Maverick to get their hands on each other, and it seemed like Escobar was avoiding it. What I don't like is just how easily it looked like Escobar just put Maverick away at the end. 
And I know he's been beat down the last few weeks. Need to build to him eventually getting him one on one. Because but this time the numbers were even, and it's for still easily just put away Maverick. And like I said, I feel like they're they're probably going to build to someone like Swerve taking the belt from him and not Maverick. And I think even though Maverick had this great storyline, now that he's part of the roster, he's back to just not doing anything. Because it just seems like his role now is get beat up every week by the heel group. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess for right now, uh, until they start adding some layers to this this like feud that Drake Maverick and Santos Escobar have, it's just going to be a little bit more of the same. Maybe we end up getting a, a sort of like a, a series ender between these two guys at some point, hopefully in the near future, because uh, I want to keep seeing Drake Maverick do more fun stuff and start getting his due a little bit uh, now that he's contracted and whatever. Uh, now's the time to start doing something more with him. Speaking of uh, doing, uh, they should take some more time to do some more things with certain people. Uh, Mercedes Martinez defeated my new wrestling crush, Santana Garrett uh, in two minutes, uh, two and a half minutes here. Um, this match was okay. I guess uh, it happened. They needed a buffer between the last match and the main event, they promised Mercedes Martinez uh, that was uh, she was going to be wrestling this evening. So uh, this match was cool. I uh, can't really ascertain a lot from a two, a two and a half minute match. But if you've been paying attention to wrestling at all over the last few years, Mercedes Martinez is fantastic. Santana Garrett is also great. Um, so, I mean, it was a functional match, but not really a lot to say. Um, Nathan. Buddy. Pal. Yes. Did I skip you on the last match just now? I wasn't even going to say anything. No, I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm developing a migraine at this, at this point in the show, and uh, I actually just legitimately forgot. So all apologies, my friend. Uh, uh, okay. But give me your give me your uncensored, unedited opinions on the six-man tag team match and the women's single match with my new wrestling crush, Santana Garrett. Uh, yeah, the six-man tag. Uh, what was exactly what it needs to be a ton of fun you got Breezango in there who are a ton they put on a pretty good entrance pretending to be the conquistadors which for any any 90s into the early 2000s wrestling fan will remember the conquistadors uh, yeah it was a ton of fun I agree with Scott that maybe Maverick got put away a little bit too quickly by Escobar but they're still open there to tell a great story and they're going to have a great blow-off match at some point. Joaquin Wild and Raul Mendoza got the match they needed because they need a little bit of legitimacy behind them because they haven't had any at any point during NXT. But was great. And I also thought that Gargano's put on a great interview after this match as well with them talking to Candice uh, LeRae about her match. Johnny Gargano asking her to run it back and say how she won again. It was great. Uh, Mercedes Martinez, Santana Garrett. Maybe it was a great squash match. Mercedes Martinez looks like a badass coming out of it. The only negative, I only think that Santana Garrett has any legitimacy in NXT to make this a real squash that means anything. But does that matter? It's all about a follow up. Mercedes Martinez, to me, needs a legitimate great win on NXT TV for this to mean anything. But Santana Garrett is great. Uh, she always puts on good matches, even though she loses all of them, pretty much. But Mercedes Martinez, for anyone that cares about independent women's wrestling, is obviously a force to be reckoned with. 
and it was a good squash for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Martinez seems to be... It was a weird thing with her, because she came in the Mian Classic, like both of them, and you seem like, oh, she's playing like it's not up by WWE, but based on how she performed, and then just nothing had happened. Then she showed up as number 21 in the, the women's oh, version of the Casino Battle Royal. And then it seems like she had like a match on Dark, I think. So it seemed like, oh, AEW's going to make take advantage of this woman that WWE just didn't sign. And then she didn't sign with them either. And now she's officially signed with WWE. So it feels like, like, what the hell was taking so long? And I remember like, some people I know worked with uh, an all-women's promotion in Glasgow called the uh, Fierce Females. And they talked about how they almost got Mercedes Martinez like last year. And then she ended up not making the show to it, like travel issues, which was unfortunate. Uh, Santana Gear just screams, I just got around to watching The Greatest Showman. That's what it screamed to me when she comes out. And <laughs> it was quick, it's almost what it needed to. And I think, like, we need to have her needing a win that means something. I think she'll just have a couple of these two matches to build her up before then, before she goes against, like, maybe Miriam on her way to, like, you know, you know when so Scott. You know when Asuka was first debuting at I think it was Backlash on the main roster when she faced uh, uh, Tenu Dashwood, whatever. Yeah, Emma. Sorry, I forgot her WWE name. And uh, but Emma had to win a match on Raw, I think, to earn the right to face Asuka. In my opinion, it would have been better. Do you think also if Santana Garrett had somehow won a match for the right to face Mercedes Martinez at the Great American Bash, do you think that maybe would have been better? I mean, from my recollection of her time in X, you'll probably win the first time she won a match. So yeah, almost, same. almost would have made her too good to be in this position. Yeah, I think you're probably right, Santana Garrett. From my recollection, I've been watching NXT Weekly for about a year, has not won a match of I can't think of anything I think every time they come out they just go she's trained by Scott Hall <laughs> like and then she loses yeah I, I don't recall Santana Garrett uh, I, I know she's appeared a few times but I don't really recall her ever coming away with any sizable victory or victory at all so I don't know like like I said this match is just sort of there uh, because uh, all the Main event of the Great American Bash uh, was the North American champion, Keith Lee, taking on Adam Cole, the uh, NXT champion, in a winner-takes-all singles match for the NXT championship and the NXT North American championship. This match goes about 20 minutes, and holy shitballs. This match was absolutely fantastic. Um, As you know, it was going to be because Keith Lee and Adam Cole, you can put them in there blindfolded with one arm tied behind their back and somebody, I don't know, hold, like sitting on their shoulders and they could put a great match together. Um, and then, of course, uh, it happened, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Keith Lee has become the dual champion of NXT. Big, big ups to uh, our boy uh, over in Pro Wrestling Magic. We had him a few times and it's just cool to see somebody who's been through the doors of the kingdom really showing that they can be at the top of the mountain wherever they go. And it's true what he's been saying for all these years. Keith Lee is limitless. Um, Nathan, uh, I'm going to go to you first. What did you think of the main event here? Before I absolutely delivered, first off, I thought the Gravitas State built around the event by having 
uh, people give their thoughts on the main event throughout the show. They had Mick Foley. I think they had Mark Henry as well at one point. Sorry if I'm wrong about that. But uh, throughout the show, give their thoughts on what this main event means. Adam Cole, when you build up a champion to, to be champion uh, for as long as he is, you have to have the right person to, to beat them, obviously. That's the point of putting someone as a champion as much as it is to crown them it's also you then have to have the right person to beat them he had been champion for 400 plus days it hadn't felt like it drawn out it wouldn't have felt drawn out if he even won this match in my opinion i don't think if adam cole won this match it would have felt like he'd been champion too long or anything but you put keithley out there the guys delivered it was it was brilliant it was a fantastic moment to have keithley dethrone adam cole uh, I I can't fault it. I think it was a fan. I think it was a good decision. I think it was a good ending to Adam Cole's reign as well. He went down as a fighting champion, as Triple H has already tweeted or put on Instagram or whatever. There's still a lot more Adam Cole can do, uh, and just a great match, a great main event. Right, and that's all you can say when you got a show. Great American Bash. It needs a great main event. It had a great main event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Scott, what is uh, your opinion on the main event? I remember when I said earlier uh, on it felt like they were building to the main event for a lot of the show, and I wasn't really meaning that entirely as a criticism because they were giving it the attention it deserved. It was probably one of the biggest matches that ever happened on NXT, especially a match that happened on free TV. Like, it was such a big moment, so it had the big match feel. It felt weird at first to see Cole almost seem like he was the one at the disadvantage given that Keeley's so much bigger than him and like how he nearly dropped him on his neck after a bloody massive clothesline. Because usually Cole's like the spammy girl you want to see get beat up. So it probably was just in the end that he was throwing off stuff at Lee and Lee just showed like that he is indeed limitless by just basically being able to take it all and then finally counter the counter of the sunrise into the spirit bomb. That was a class finish. I, I do agree that it almost felt like he was getting too long for him to be champion, but I think just as you wondered, well, who's next from a face after a beat Dream, they managed to find the perfect storyline to end his, his reign on, and Keith Lee, because Keith Lee has already been a champion, probably soon like the best person after Dream to take the belt. As I said earlier, they probably weren't going to put it back on Champ when he came back, and because people were saying that they wanted to see Lee immediately in the title picture, after Survivor Series, I think they did the smart thing by putting him as North American champion. He had a few months as just the North American champion, and he proved he could maintain that momentum and the popularity as North American champion before taking his rightful place, I think, in the main event. Something, 100% agree. Something I want to ask you guys about, because uh, I believe, oh my God, credit was Tom Campbell, I think it was from Cultaholic, who said that he said that it was a good, another good week for NXT in the ratings. And I wonder what you guys think of this. And uh, he said, I think because so many, some, not, not everybody who watched it, a lot of people probably would have seen that leak uh, of the result of the main event by one of the guys from Indochina accidentally sent out. And yet, NXT still did the better number in the rating, even though people knew Keith Lee was going to win. And he compared it to like when Mankind's result got spoiled. Do you think, as he said, that it's a credit to how popular Keith Lee is that people still tuned in, even if they knew he was going to win? I think, uh, I don't want to sound super horrible here, but I am probably going to accidentally sound like I'm being super horrible. 
the Mankind Mick Foley win on uh, WWF TV, it would have been Raw, obviously, coincided with Nitro. That's a completely different level of popularity. Mm-hmm. That's an unbelievable... Like, the numbers that NXT and AEW are doing live on TV, and you can paint them however you want when you talk about, oh, well, more people are talking about them on Twitter or on Instagram, and like, yeah, but... The Mick Foley thing is it that's a different stratosphere of popularity. That is several million people. And then more people who watch each show live switch channels. Like so no, I wouldn't compare it because I don't think we're ever gonna see that level of popularity again because I think the watching of live TV, live sport, live whatever has changed forever because of twitter and whatever else um so no i don't think it's that level because the mick foley thing from nitro to raw really i don't it not to understate it it really killed nitro not not killed as in got rid of it but it absolutely hammered it but i think with the key Lee thing we're just talking about tens of thousands of people here which is a lot of people but it is a minuscule amount of people when we talk about live TV over in the States. Like, it, it's, like, it's, it's completely different levels. Yeah. You can't, you can't compare the two. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I, I agree with that. Um, but also, I got to... I got to give credit where credit's due and the buildup that NXT did. I mean, last week's prime target was so, so, so good. Um, and it just honestly, like it's the, I think this is the first time that anyone's ever been a dual champion in NXT. People wanted to see it happen. And you know what? They knew that with Keith Lee and Adam Cole, that this match was going to be fantastic. Um, they, both of these guys have been known for years, uh, on the Indies to always be able to perform no matter what the situation. And they did it again in 20 minutes here and they blew the roof off the place. Uh, even though there was, no like actual fans in attendance it was all just uh people who work at the pc and whatnot and other superstars and whatever um but uh this match had a big match feel to it um it had the pedigree it had the uh it it just had the attention of the world and i i don't think it would have mattered they could have showed the whole match a week earlier by mistake on youtube or something and i think people still would have tuned in for the match uh, on Great American Bash this week. That's just the way it feels to me. I think the other thing is what we're looking at here at some point is when people talk about NXT not having any proper stars, which gets pandered pandered around a lot and thrown about a lot. But AEW does have the star power. Here are two main events, one with Chris Jericho in it, a proper wrestling star, who does to a limited way break into the mainstream. And I don't think that's unfair to say about Chris Jericho. I think no, pretty, no. That's pretty factual. And I think he himself would agree with that. And then you've got two people, Adam Cole and Keith Lee, who don't break into the mainstream media in any significant way. And I don't think, I'm not taking away from their ability in any way. I love both of them. I'm just saying they don't break into mainstream media in any significant way. They're pro wrestlers, pro wrestlers. Yeah, they, they, are. they they are 
in pro wrestling, they're megastars. Outside pro wrestling, they are nobodies. And but the proper build up, proper storytelling leads to results. And I don't think Orange Cassidy and Chris Jericho, as good a match as it was, I don't think they told a great story. I think last week on Fighter Fest, I don't think having Orange Cassidy sitting where they were not giving a shit in Chris Jericho doing comedic Jerry Lawler late 90s style commentary was a great way of telling a story. Like it was funny for moments, but I don't think it it didn't make me want to see a main event match. It made me want to see, you know what, I can't wait for these guys to put on a hilarious comedy style match. I think I think what the the real difference is is at least in story, Chris Jericho versus Orange Cassidy was this older wrestler guy is pissed off at this newer wrestling guy who doesn't seem to give as much of a shit about the thing that the older wrestler guy still gives a lot of a shit about. And on NXT with Keith Lee and Adam Cole, it was just it was it was an onion. It had so many layers. Like Adam Cole was champion for 400 plus days. He was at the top of the mountain. Nobody could stand in his way. Keith Lee is bigger, stronger, uh, just as athletic in some in some aspects as Adam Cole. But Adam Cole has overcome gigantic odds before. And we've seen him. And I've discussed this uh, at other points on this very podcast where uh, how do you with guys like Tommaso Ciampa, Johnny Gargano and Adam Cole, when they come up against guys like Keith Lee, they make them more believable again. Like, because for a long time, Adam Cole, Johnny Gargano, and Tommaso Ciampa, you had to get them to put on a 60-minute match for it to be believable that they could lose. Now, in 20 minutes, Keith Lee... uh, Keith Lee just did it with um, Johnny Gargano. I said it uh, when we were talking about it in your house. Johnny Gargano now can have a 14-minute match with somebody, and it is believable that he could possibly lose to Isaiah Swerve Scott or whomever. Uh, Karrion Cross comes out, destroys Tommaso Ciampa in seven minutes, and that was believable, not only because Cross is a maniac and a gigantic, muscly man, but because Tommaso Ciampa put himself in a, in a position to be vulnerable again. And finally, after 400-plus days, Adam Cole didn't have to put on a 74-minute match with Keith Lee, to make it believable that Keith Lee would come away as the champion. And he's not only that, he's a double champion. It's never happened before. The build has been fantastic. Keith Lee is an ab- is just an, ab- an abnormality. Like, he's so talented. He's so athletic. He's charismatic from here to the end of the football field and back twice. Um, I could listen to the man talk all goddamn day. And honestly, it was just, this match was just everything it needed to be and more. And um, I, there was no reason to me that even if they just put this, if the, if night two was only Gargano, Swerve Scott, the six man tag and Keith Lee versus Adam Cole, I still think that they would have won just based on merit alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something that was interesting, I only noticed it while I was watching the match that after I realized that uh, obviously Keith Lee's now the first guy to hold both belts at the same time. He's also only the third person to hold them both, like, hold both belts ever. Because, like, Cole and Gargano before were the only people who have won both the NXT and the North American titles and their NXT run, because obviously the North American is still fairly new. And now Keith is only the third guy, so 
like they're still like making history. So like it's interesting like stats to have for Keith Lee, and now he's also going to be remembered as the first to hold both belts. One thing I'm nervous about is the whole thing with Cross at the end, that he's kind of almost been rushed into the NXT title picture. Well, yeah, I think that's just because uh, with Cross, they're going to want to put him on the main roster as soon as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're going to like rush through whatever the normal steps are in NXT to make sure that that act is going to work well enough. And especially now that you don't have to travel very much and be on, you know, be in these big arenas, they can still pretty much do the same stuff that they would do with Karrion Cross, just up on Raw and SmackDown, which cool. Um, but then, and this was the question I wanted to get into towards uh, as we start to wind things down here a little bit, uh, that not only now uh, with Keith Lee, but with Adam Cole, is he and the rest of the Undisputed Era sort of uh, main roster bound? Uh, do you think Adam Cole maybe is on his way out of the company? Um, do you think that Keith Lee will defend the titles together or separately? I mean, there's a lot of questions that come out of this, and I just want to know what your guys' take is on both of those aspects of it, both the Keith Lee side and the Adam Cole side. What do you got for us? I think, uh, sorry, if I, can ju- if I can jump in. I think with the rating standpoint, just to give the f- my final take on it, I think Triple H is kind of, he's not pulled off a masterclass because obviously you can get into the demos and the spreadsheets of it all, but uh, in how to consistently bet, like, but Triple H is kind of he's telling his stories much more through wrestling and through stories than perhaps AEW are a little bit but that's beside the point because that changes week on week uh, in terms of the Undisputed Era I don't think they're main roster bound yet but I think they are very soon within I think after SummerSlam uh, they will be, I think, throughout SummerSlam, they're going to be probably on the takeover. And after that, hopefully, we're going to see them come in on Raw or SmackDown, beat the shit out of some main roster people and establish themselves. But I don't think they're going to be in NXT much longer, to, oh, to how, be honest. You know what just occurred to me? How fucking great would it be is after SummerSlam, say, Drew McIntyre wins his match and then he gets jumped by the Undisputed Era again. I think it's going to be fantastic oh, wow. wherever they land. I would absolutely love that. I think they should end up probably... Uh, my head says Raw over SmackDown. Probably. M- m- yeah, my gut is instantly chuckling on Raw. I know Drew McIntyre is an absolute mountain of a human being, and Adam Cole, as much as they want to pretend he's six foot, he's not six foot. Like, and that's just wrestling. That's just the world of wrestling. Like, No one's their actual height. Like, let's not. The Undertaker isn't seven foot. Not to tell everyone Santa's not real, but he's not. And uh, so my gut says they end up on Raw. And I'd love to see them just establish Adam Cole immediately. In the Keith Lee situation, I had a conversation with Carl, who of Rogue Opinions, the other day over Messenger. And my gut instinct was that Keith Lee keeps both titles for a number of weeks and loses the North American through shenanigans. But I can't tell you who to. And the carrying cross situation, 
it could, I I don't know. They could they could throw him straight in immediately, or they could hold him off. Or there's so much to it. I don't know. It's it's all confusing me, guys. It's all just it's all just fuck. It's all just mysteries. And mysteries are good though. I think yeah, a good mystery yeah. is fine. They are. They are. And I I don't I don't know what they do with carrying cross. Do you rush him up to the main roster? He's got the act for it. He's got the ability. Scarlet is, if you've ever watched any of her impact work or her Mexican work, she's fantastic. She's world class. You can put her wherever you want. And she can wrestle. She got a good match at Disco Inferno in like 2019. For God's sake. Like, it, it can't. She's that good. So I don't know. I'm getting excited thinking about it, though. It's not yeah. just because I'm thinking about Scarlet. <laughs> I was wondering which of the three of us were going to make that first. Hands, hands, hands where we can see them, Nathan. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I do like uh, Jimmy suggesting about them coming up and attacking Drew again. I think that would be perfect, like coming full circle. With regards to their call up, I think it is soon. I hadn't even to jump in. I hadn't even thought about that. I did not make that connection at all. That that's how Adam Cole started. Sorry, I thought you were just saying something, but that would be beautiful symmetry. No, yeah, NXT TakeOver New York 3, I think it was. Uh, Drew McIntyre had just won the title from Bobby La- from Bobby Lashley. Bo- uh, Bob- Bobby Roode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, and, I did not even put those two together. And that, Adam Cole and Red Dragon came out. They weren't the Undisputed Era yet. And they beat the fuck out of Drew McIntyre. And then Drew McIntyre was out of there before they could have a match. So what better way to bring Adam Cole up is to have him fucking beat the fuck out of Drew McIntyre again. I just think that that's something that's on the table. Yeah, because I was able to think they're going up soon. Because, yeah, Triple H may say he's got plenty of Gen XT, but I feel not really going for like titles since they've already done the whole undisputed prophecy. And I don't know what they can do. Uh, I think the one thing that holds back their, their call is, even though like they've been using a lot of NXT talent across multiple brands because of like the shortage of people they can use in this current era of COVID and that. I know we've seen Kyle O'Reilly and some of these like, vignettes that did like, the therapy stuff, but I think until Kyle O'Reilly is able to come to the PC to actually do matches, I don't think we'll see their call because if you're going to call them up, you have to do it with all four of them. He can't do it while Kyle O'Reilly can't be there. Because then eventually there'll be people who don't really watch NXT. And after a rewrite of a thousand and a period on the main roster, you're going to have to then go, oh yeah, by the way, then there's this fourth guy who couldn't come up at the time, but now he's here as well. You need to like, establish all four of them together as a unit or don't call them up at all. That's fair. That's a fair That's a fair assessment. Um. So then what do you think is next for Adam Cole, Scott? I don't really know. Maybe... Something with Finn Balor, I think, or maybe champion now that Cole doesn't have to deal with champion and get a win over Cole on his way back to the title picture. And I think if Karen Cross does eventually win the title, maybe this whole long term thing with Champa is at the start. Everyone just came, it only just came out there. Maybe Champa eventually does beat Cross, but only when Cross has the title. So Champa comes up, he goes through, uh, he goes through Cole, maybe he goes through Gargano again, even though we've seen that far too many times. And then eventually gets back to Cross and takes the title. Because, like, as I said, he's probably too, his body is now, he can't really do the full-time schedule. So why not one more title reign for, for Champa? And I know I've made it more about Champa than Cole, but still, like, 
Cole's not going to be a champion again, I don't think. So at least have Cole help champ on his way back. And I'm bringing it for Cole almost. Yeah, yeah. I, just, I, think, I think that there's plenty of stuff that can come out of, I mean, even just this one match, there's so much more now that you look forward to that is possible. Um, I mean, we, we also have, uh, I believe, Imperium are still the tag champions. We got <laughs> a whole bunch of stuff going on on NXT and across AEW. Um, but I think here on Rogue Opinions, we don't have like a lot of stuff that we hold very dear, but there is one thing that we hold extremely close to the chest and extremely in high regard. Um, and that is the big time in Fox Hall of Fame. And a lot of big names, a lot of big timing fucks have been added to this Hall of Fame. Um, I just, uh, I just think that it's been a long time since we've had a name added to there. And I got a message earlier in the week from one Scott McLeod. And Scott, you have a name that potentially needs to go into the Big Time and Fucks Hall of Fame? Yes. Hey. Uh, it was a name that my brother, I mentioned like the Big Time Hall of Fame. I mentioned the whole thing to my brother who mentioned, oh, we should add this person. And then I kind of laughed at it first, and I remembered like, what he actually did. And I realized, like, yeah, this, this guy has still a strong case to be added to the Hall of Fame. And uh, somebody we actually talked about a fair bit on the... Uh, it, it comes up on the Retro Smackdown pod that we do. Uh, is one, Al Snow, who is the name I'm suggesting because... As you know, I also do work with another podcast, Eat, Sleep, What does everybody love? Not else, no, as I'll tell you. (laughs) (laughs) I do do some work with Eat, Sleep, Sleep, Retreat, and my brother got the opportunity to interview Al Snow for them uh, just before Mania last year. And what happened was he got a message Al Snow and basically said that like Al Snow didn't have 20 minutes spare to just do a regular interview. He said he would give us an hour, but he was only able to do it while he was driving. So that's strike one, Al. Strike two was not wanting to download Skype, even though it's free, and then said during the, uh, the podcast over Facebook Messenger. And that's strike two. And I had to listen back to it. I had to listen at some of the best like moments for a write-up I was doing. And it's like some of the worst quality audio I've ever heard. Because all you can he's trying to, he's making some good points at point at parts of the interview, and all you can hear is a as he's driving. And strike three is just the answer he, he gave sometimes, like the fact that he said, uh, "Well, I asked him about comedy wrestling that." And this is a guy who was prioritized. He'd go fucking head cheese, and they had a fucking mascot that they brought out one time. And he, he told us, oh, I don't believe in things like comedy wrestling. It's just wrestling. It's just how it's interpreted. Like, all right, fucking excuse me, Al. <laughs> he was involved. He Jesus. was involved in a match where Too Cool pinned Head using a bottle of Head and Shoulders to pin the mannequin Head to the ground. And you don't believe in comedy wrestling? I'm sorry, Scott. You've already made the sale. He's in the fucking Hall of Fame as far as Say, I'm concerned. No. <laughs> I can't make enough of weird noises to interrupt you guys. This is a guy who was part of a match where he fought someone whilst dogs were on the outside of the ring. 
This is a man who brought a polystyrene head to the ring as a gimmick. And he's saying he doesn't believe in comedy wrestling. Did he think that shit was serious? What is wrong with him? I don't want to. Like, do, do we need to get him help? I would think so at this point. Yes. And I think that that help God. starts within the walls of the big timing fucks hall of fame. Welcome to the hall of fame, asshole. Congratulations, Al Snow. A man called Al Snow doesn't think comedy wrestling exists. I mean, if I can, it's good that we've got our first uh, nomination of uh, our second year. Our second uh, season. We mm-hmm. got renewed for season two, by the way, guys. Mm-hmm. Oh, awesome. There That's you go. Congrats. Yeah. Congrats. We, we've, we've already had a guest star. Yep. Um, Kept our time mean, slot. Time slot. I mean, that's important for the ratings. I mean, keeping that important 36 to 94 demo. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So the cons are now are, are, are um, in charge of it. So we, we exclusively have to use Excel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Send all emails. Not even allowed to use Word. I mean, how are people going to know about which demos are the only numbers that are important, even though? It's basically about what do you want to watch, you know? Tony Khan. Well, guys, like I, I hate to sound, I hate to sound like our new overlord and master, Tony Khan, but I think this was a win for the entire industry. <laughs> that, me, me and Scott live in the UK. So does that mean we're in the second division of football? Yes. Yes. Yes, it does. Fuck. We have to live in Fulham. Scott, you ever been to Fulham? Uh, thankfully not, no. Okay. We're in the, Do you want me to tell you the highlights of Fulham? I'd rather you didn't. Okay. <laughs> that, in, is, that is also the highlights. We, we, we are in the UK, so that means for season two, you'll, you won't get us on the day that it goes out. You'll get us two <laughs> days later at 11pm or very early in the morning on ITV4. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! But if you sign up for Rogue Opinions Plus right now, you can you can listen to this show <laughs> on fight, and we don't go to commercial. We don't do any fancy interludes. No ads on those on those shows, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we, but uh, we have a special hashtag: uh, potentially naked Zoom call with Carl or Rahul, whichever your preference. You may you may even get a naked Zoom call from you know just the disembodied voice. Of uh, of Scott and uh, the dogs. <laughs> okay, so if you if you go, we'll get tag. My spreadsheet shows that we are this rank in the show rankings. Look, we got more demos than everyone else. My football team won't get promoted this year. All daddy's <laughs> money, and that's all one word. So it's because it's a hashtag. And one more, and one more time for the people so they could write that down, uh, Nathan. Oh God, I don't remember it. So, <laughs> yes, yes. What is one, one hashtag of all two hundred and eighty characters? Yeah, yeah for so real. That, that's what I look at. Two hundred and eighty. Remember when it got doubled in size, and now it doesn't seem as much as it did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all right, ladies and gentlemen, um, this has been another lovely, lovely grapple update um make sure that you go back into the archives and you check out all the fun things we've been doing we just had that kj guy uh formerly known as kfabe jobber uh 
formerly known as Assad uh, in other parts of the world who, you know, he hates when people do that, but I've never met the guy, so I'm just going to do it for fun. Uh, he's a great guy, and he came in to talk about the football um, with, I believe, Carl and Reese, and uh, that episode is fantastic. All the other stuff that we did. If you want to hear part one of our counter-programming uh, grapple updates, uh, you go back into the archives as well. Nathan, fill in the rest of the things that I'm forgetting and tell the people what you got going on. Yes, I have lots going on, but go back through the archives and listen to everything. There's the Banter Munich podcast. There's so much football going on or soccer if you're in America because it's all late because of, I don't know, turn on the news. Uh, the, Naked Pod, the Naked Men podcast trundles along. They'll be back soon. we got a watch along of the Will Ferrell Eurovision movie coming up very very soon uh and other than that just you know find me at nathan greenaway tweet me don't tweet me i won't reply scott what have you got going on hey you can get me it's got 1996 uh you can follow my other podcast on paul's round podcast at sp rambling uh, we're doing a lot of stuff related to Frasier and impact wrestling at the minute with the lead up to slammiversary we're even doing predictions for that as far as this best of three thing we've got going on and I promise I like Paul, but I vow to crush him and prove that I'm better than him because that's the kind of friendship we have. And go back through the Rogue Opinions archives to the Retro Smackdown where you can hear us talk about recent Big Tim and Fox uh, induction E. Uh, Al Snow and the trials and tribulations of him and his dog. Uh, independent wrestling is still very, very much alive <laughs> and kicking. And uh, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash pro wrestling magic to check out. Uh, for as little as $3 a, uh, $3 a month, rather, you can listen to audio content hosted by me um, with a little bit less of an edge to it just because, you know, I'm, just, I'm trying to be nice to you guys within the kingdom because you guys pay us. Um, $5, you get uh, bonus matches, exclusive matches, and for $10, you get full-fledged shows. Uh, hopefully soon we're going to be doing a watch-along for one of the shows that's on YouTube.com forward slash Pro Wrestling Magic. Um, and, uh, also you can find me over at, uh, on Twitter at Mr. Riot. That's M R R I zero T. Uh, I much like Nathan will not respond. Um, but please, it is cool to see the notifications during the day and don't slide into my DMS. That's just weird and creepy and gross. Um, uh, and yeah, I'm pro wrestling magic is at wrestling magic, all that other fun stuff. And we are at rogue underscore opinion. And right now we're at a show. So fuck off. Bye. In his glory. For he is limitless. <laughs>